Come on, I'll buy you coffee. Everybody, welcome to episode 100 and I don't even know, is it 17 of Adventure Super Train? Wow. I sometimes lose track. I know what numbers we're on with the chats, 17, 8, and 1, but sometimes I lose track of where we are um, vis-a-vis uh, the episodes themselves. So yeah, welcome to episode 117 of Adventure Super Train. I am your main host, Dan. This is a short-lived TV show podcast. We cover short-lived shows that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. In this episode, we are beginning with Search, episode 17, the 1972-73 Leslie Stevens created show, Search. And Mitchell Hadley and myself are chatting all over it. And then, uh, what's next? Oh, uh, Tim Turner, Tim S. Turner, and I are discussing the eighth episode of Cold Chack. The Night Stalker, which is now out on Blu-ray. It looks so good. And and I are discussing episode one, also known as... So I think that's going to be great. You guys are really going to enjoy that. So let's dive right in here. I'd like to correct Dan because this is episode 116. I don't know why I thought it was 117. I don't know, but it it is 116. Uh, you'll notice I didn't go back and re-record that opening. I thought it was perfect. Why uh, re-record it? It's 116. Hey, and if and if you're at this point thinking, all right, we're 117, and then you think the next one is 118, you get all confused. It'll be great. It'll be screwy. It'll be fun. So let's dive into uh, episode 17 of Search, the Clayton Lewis document. With uh, uh, Bianco, Tony Franciosa, directed by William Wyard, Wyard, uh, written by Norman Hudis, Hudis, uh, February 14, 1973. And this one, uh, and I'll just just keep it simple because I act so long, but basically Bianco is called up by um, the wife of a gentleman, I believe Clayton Lewis, who is being blackmailed um, before a disarmament conference conference and Mr. Lewis is the main guy who's going to try to help save the world from destroying itself but there is something in the document that may ruin his credibility so Bianco has to hunt it down to find out what's going on and there's a lot of shooting and a lot of killing and a lot of stuff like that so I'll just dive right in here's Mitchell Mitchell I apologize for the chatter and um listen listen to what Mitchell is up to uh, let me give you a blast. We're on the other side. The Clayton Lewis document, 
episode 17 of Search. And as you heard in the uh, plot breakdown, this is another uh, Bianco episode. We have here the great Mitchell Hadley. Mitchell, how are you? I am doing well. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. What What is going on with you right now? Well, we're um, we've remodeled our apartment into early box. We've got <laughs> <laughs> we're um, we're heading out on the road. Oh. We're part of the witness protection program uh, now. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. That's you hear so things. You hear things. We're about a we're about a week away from blowing these digs and heading oh. for someplace new and exciting. And um, by the next time that we uh, talk, we should be there. But right oh, now, we're, we've uh, pretty much emasculated this apartment <laughs> of any traces of personality. So, <laughs> so this, is the, this is the last time we'll hear this acoustic. That is Mitchell. correct. So although, cherish it. Cherish it. Enjoy it. Although, although I'll give anyone a prize if they can. I, 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 I have a feeling the next acoustics might be similar, too. But we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the way Mitchell – I don't know Mitchell's set up. For all I know, you're sitting in a giant tinfoil bubble. <laughs> and you're just enclosed, and your wife, like, knocks on it every once in a while. And, you know, it's there's a little red light. But it's a real bear when I accidentally <laughs> bite down on it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, uh, uh. Uh, So let, let's dive right in. Because you got you still got packing to do, yeah, so I, I tell you, you yeah. you'll hear him packing throughout when I'm talking, which is going to get annoying. I'm kidding. So this <laughs> is the Clayton. What is this called? The Clayton Lewis document. I, I I made the mistake of just putting initials down on my paper, so it's the Clayton Lewis document. Correct? Is that CLD? It? Isn't yes. that isn't that that cleanser that you can get seen on TV or <laughs> it something? Is, it it's, is. CLD. It's a really good yeah. one. I think it's a really good one. Uh, what what did you think of a CLD? I really like this episode. It's a it's it's a Bianco episode, as you mentioned, and I think I may have mentioned this at some point during the run of this that I was never a big Tony Franciosa fan going into this. Uh-huh. Uh, I could take him or leave him, but I really like him in this series. I like him, and I like his character. And uh, there's there's that that edge that he brings to whatever it is he's doing that says, you know, he may be smiling, he may be pleasant but don't mess with this guy and i really i really like that um one of the things that i thought would be helpful to understand this is an episode that i think requires a little bit of exposition as to its cultural time it's night it's 1973 and um I don't think this would give anything away, and you may have already mentioned it, but or we'll be mentioning it, but uh, one of the things that this episode pivots around is that our our client, Craig Stevens, is a um, diplomat working on a peace negotiations, a very sensitive peace negotiations for the U.S., and he's being blackmailed because he had psychiatric treatment at one point in time. And it occurred to me in watching this that a lot of modern viewers, a lot of our viewers out there, might not understand why that was a big deal. Why would it be so damaging that you could blackmail somebody with their medical record that that years ago, for one month, he was in a place where he got some help and now he's fine? And in order to to put that into um, in, into context... In 1972, one year before this episode, and it probably occurred less than a full year before this episode was aired, Thomas Eagleton 
Senator Tom Eagleton from Missouri was chosen as George McGovern's running mate at the Democratic National Convention. Eagleton was the vice presidential candidate. And less than a month later, he was forced to step down from the ticket because he had a past history of psychiatric treatment. He had suffered a nervous breakdown. He had gone through, I think, at least one and possibly two uh, treatments of uh, shock therapy. And his opponents, who were many on both sides of the aisle, used this against him that he was mentally unstable and unfit to be the man with his finger on the nuclear button and that he should not be on the ticket, should not be one heartbeat away from the presidency. Now, we could get into all kinds of reasons why he was on the ticket, and one of the things I think you can say without fear of contradiction is that the McGovern team did not do a very good job of checking out all of the candidates beforehand. They did a lousy job, as a matter of fact, but again, that's another story. The point is that audiences watching this episode in 1973 would be fully acquainted and understanding how deadly something like this could be in someone's background and why someone could be successfully blackmailed into having to either step down or to divulge vital information. It might not make sense to us today, but it would have absolutely made sense to people watching it back then. And I think that that is something that if you know this going into watching the episode, it's going to make it, if not more pleasant, more fun, I don't know, but it's, it's going to answer some questions for you before you have a chance to ask them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. No, that that when I when when it starts off with that scene with all the lights shining on the guy, and oh, I know those twenty three days where you were, and you think, oh, what was he doing? And then you learn that he went for a little assistance. He was exhausted, and he went for a little assistance to to keep his mind going. And and I I could tell. Um, now I did not like like most of what you just said. I didn't know that. And that was fantastic. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And that's, it was quite, mean, the, quite the story at the time. Yeah, it's 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 a joke. I mean, it's like um, you know, it's like uh like um buying an annotated version of a of a book from a hundred years ago. You know, that's going to have something in it where we will look at it in one way, but we're we really need to look at it in the context. And uh, I think I think that's great. And I, I like I I um I I like this episode too. I I think that the the one thing that I, I found tricky about this episode. This was just me thinking this and I don't know if this is true but um, um, that um, Bianco doesn't use probe control that much in the episode no he doesn't he's um, relying on himself yes. a lot in this one and and I almost I almost wonder if because this would have been because they're in the secondary control room and I'm almost wondering if when they got into like the second half of the series and they kind of knew like well we're going to be cancelled whether we like it or not, um, if if all the scripts that were coming in were actual like search scripts, I'm wondering if this was now because they use probe so little in it that I'm wondering if this was like sort of a maybe it was written for something else detective-y, and they wrote in the probe stuff into it because this has the scene where. Cameron actually goes to Clayton's house yes. with his wife and says, Bianco, you're off the case. And you think, 
is this really that? I mean, that that seems strange to me that that he would do that. And then I thought, but what if, if but if it were a script written for something else, maybe this would be like you know the the cops, the boss, the captain, or the soup, the you know the superintendent or something. Mm-hmm. They like show the office. Yes, yeah, exa- exactly. So not now, not that it's a bad episode because Tony Franciosa sells it. He makes it interesting and he keeps it cooking. And there are enough red herrings and bits of excitement here and there to keep it moving all the way. Um, but I, I I do have that that thought in the back of my head. Now that we're in the the second half and we know we're going to be canceled, are they specifically going after scripts to use all they can of the probe portion of it? Or is it just like, hey, well, this guy wrote a pretty good detective-y sort of script. Okay, we'll throw some probe stuff in there and uh, we'll be okay. I don't know for certain, but uh, occasionally... It's a very interesting theory because... You're right. There's something particularly jarring about seeing Cam not mm-hmm. only out of the office, but out of his work uniform, if you mm-hmm. will. He's he's wearing wearing a suit. He's in full lighting, which means we yes. get a chance to see what a lousy rug Burgess <laughs> Meredith has been given. <laughs> you know, there's, and I'm almost positive that when they were in the old set, that his hair was different. Than it is now. It could have been, yeah. Maybe but he. That... Oh, sorry. No, it was maybe it. Maybe it's just the lighting, but it's it's really bad. And it's, it's, maybe it's because we've got a great picture too. It's maybe not... the people who saw it at the time uh, yeah. they couldn't true. tell. Yeah. True, true, true. That that is right. Like like I've said many times on this, when I first watched these, they were high def on Warner Archive of Instant, and they look great on the DVD, but they look slightly better on Warner Archive Instant, and um, seeing them that nice was so... It, it, it'd be, it'd be weird. The weird thing with a show like this, you know, you have some shows like that, you know, you maybe have been watching all your life. Like, say, um, I was going to say Kolchak, because that just came out on, on Blu-ray, and, and um, Tim and I were talking about that. But even a show like, say, Rockford, um, you know, that's, you know, that looks... You know, if you used to watch that in syndication, that looked very much like a 70s show. But if yeah. you have the Mill Creek Blu-ray set... It's like you can see the makeup on James Garner's face sometimes, not all the time. I say that as if that's isn't that fun? You're not supposed to see the makeup on his face, but I'm, I'm saying that that's how good it looks. You're right that I've I've um, I don't have the uh, the set myself, but there are people with the Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea set. Yes, we'll talk about how they can see some of the wires on the uh, the submarine and and on some of the special effects as they go on. Yes. and they're, they're clearly never things that would be intended to be seen. And you kind yeah. of have to remind yourself that they weren't making the show for the kind of technology yes. we have. Mm-hmm. And it's and so when I watch it, when I watch a show like Search, and I think like there are some shows like. Well, like Doctor Who, for example, when I first started watching Doctor Who, you know, I was watching that on PBS, and it, you know, it didn't look good at all. Uh, you know, and now I'm watching it. Generally, when I watch kind of something, it looks really nice. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, the thing I love about Search is that I've never not seen Search looking really nice, and that's yeah. kind of that's kind of fun. Um, you know, it's like it's like if you have a favorite movie, you know, like uh, like uh, I love Robert Altman's Brewster McCloud. And that's two, three, five. I've never seen it in anything but its proper aspect ratio. So I've never seen it like most people did on video, where it was horribly panned and scanned and cropped and everything like that. So I, I just, I just like the fact that, hey, this is looking pretty good. You know, hey, Burgess, um, I like your hair. 
Burgess. <laughs> but but overall, I I do like the episode. I think the uh, the episode moves really nice, and um, and it actually it wasn't until I I sat down and sort of critically looked at it that I thought he doesn't use probe that much. I'm wondering. Now, not that that not that that matters because we're going to have you know just like just like just like we had the last three episodes where things were more personal and more involved with probe. Um, this one, um, uh, this one, he he's doing it more himself. You you don't. I, I, I'm imagining you don't have to use probe. I mean, and it's not like he's going to Switzerland or something like that and needs you know to to have have things translated. Or anything, you know, he's in Bianco's in the thick of things where he knows what to do. So, yes, he's in his element. Yeah, so so he really so so what he needs is just little moments of assistance here and there, for what he can't he can't handle. And but but you're right, Tony Franciosa is. Um, I've I, I I in in the well, the things I know him from, yeah, stuff like the uh, Dario Argento, Tenebrae, and stuff like that. I've I've always I've liked him, but there's been something about him I found a little off-putting. Mm-hmm. But as as Bianco, I really like him. I think he's such a nice contrast to the other two that it, as I will say this a thousand more times before we're done talking about search, the fact that they never did one with all three together is a heartbreaker. Yes, and there will be an episode coming up that was tailor-made for something like that, and you may know which one I'm talking about. But when we get to it. I'll explain it. All right. So what what, uh, what what else do you have on this one? Well, you know, one of the things that I like about this series in general is that it doesn't skimp on guest stars. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't um, have special guest star and they show the person and you're sitting there thinking who? <laughs> um, but but even even within a series that has quality casts, this is an exceptional guest cast i think you've got as the diplomat you've got craig stevens mr peter gunn himself Mm -hmm. only instead of being the man investigating the case he's the 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 proto client the one who's being investigated Mm -hmm. you've got um julie adams as his wife brightens up every episode yes she's always yeah yes don gordon who is is always the bad guy except when he isn't and he isn't <laughs> just often enough that you can never completely rule out the the idea that he might not be the bad guy but mm-hmm. he's he's terrific in this and then of course you've you got Rhonda Fleming uh, yes and if you, you, this would have been I suspect a pretty cool casting coup in this one you have Rhonda Fleming who is doing a version of a woman named Pearl Mesta who was one of the most famous Washington hostesses of all time Mm. she was called the hostess with the mostest (laughs) and she was so well known that she was able to be a mystery guest on what's my line and people knew who she was (laughs) and in fact in fact before they created an official residence for the vice president, the vice president and his wife and family had to buy their own home in Washington. And the vice president flew commercial, too, if you can believe that. He didn't have a government plane either. But when Lyndon Johnson was elected vice president in 1960, when they moved, when when uh, well, he he already lived in Washington, obviously. But as vice president, they lived in 
Pearl Mesta's old house. Oh, wow. and so she was um, the hostess. If you were anybody mm-hmm. who was anybody was invited to a party by Pearl Mesta, uh, deals were cut, alliances were formed, all kinds of things happened at her parties. So it's it's really fun to see a Hollywood classic like Rhonda cool. playing that role. <laughs> yeah. Yes. She's she's great she's great in it too she's 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 really good in uh and we we won't say all the scenes she's in but uh, she's uh yeah she's really good when she and I'll tell you she's looking really good too yeah so. yeah she really she, she really is yeah mm-hmm. um um I would say this this has one of my favorite um it's only it's only brief uh but a brief action scene where Bianco and uh lady are looking at negatives and they, it's basically they're finding out the document as it were they found the yes. document they're looking at it and a guy comes into this apartment with a gun fires at bianco and bianco picks up a chair and does like a jackie chan style throw of the chair where it's this perfect like beeline across the room and like like smashes right it doesn't hit the guy but smashes on the doorway right next to him so he has to leap out of the way and it's one of those things you see Jackie Chan do like eight times every fight where you go, how did he do that? And it's so accurate. It's like, and then he gets out of the way and that fight ends with one of my possible all-time favorite Bianca moments where he's um, he's on a landing sort of in the middle of a staircase, you know, where the staircase goes down, there's a little landing, a window, and then it goes down, there's the next floor. And he's on the staircase and he, he's standing in front of the window. He looks up and the guy leaps at him and Bianco just very casually takes one step to the left, turns, and the guy goes through the window and splatters himself on the ground outside. I love it. I love and it. And it's so, it happens so quickly, but but Bianco is so just... It's so perfect. It's so perfectly done. It's so funny. I mean, I know a guy got killed. Well, not for real, but but I know the character, the guy, the guy. As far as I could tell, died when he hit the ground. But but it's so sharply done, and it's so sort of suave. It's almost a Lockwood sort of yep. move. You, you can see Lockwood doing that. But um, hey, maybe it's um, very smooth. Yeah, yeah, it's a very smooth. <laughs> maybe move. Lockwood t- teaches that in the Search awesome. Academy. Search Search Academy. Oh, I I watched it. That was a great. That was my favorite series of movies from the eighties. Yeah. Remember that? Remember that one probe we used to make all the noises. <laughs> oh, he was the best. Uh. Uh, what else do you, What else do you have on this one? I think. Let's see. What else do we have? I do like. Yeah, that that scene with. Uh, I I I wrote down the quote, but I can't read what I I wrote. Where um where 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 um. They say, please, uh, we don't want you to continue investigating, Bianca. We don't want to continue investigating. And Bianca says, I have to. And Cameron says, you're going to go against your friend's wishes? And he says, I don't want wishes. I want reasons. That was real. That was brilliant. Yeah, that, that's that and, a great and, line. And, and and they're like, okay, how can you how can you argue with that? <laughs> that he he wants to know why. And he, do, he does learn why. And... um. And you can tell he's and and I, we won't give away the ending, but like the the moment when like he realizes he's in the right place where he knows what's going on, and you see the person who's trying to pretend like they don't know what's going on, and Tony Franciosa has that look on his face, you know that look, mm-hmm. that look of like yes, well, I'm here because you've done this thing. I've what? Yep, you have. Mm-hmm. And he's just fiddling with his cuffs, and it's just it's smooth. Uh, he is. He he is. Um, 
an episode like this is just made for him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He's really so good in this. Yeah. And so let let's talk let's talk now. Now do do you have anything else of this cuz I wanted to go and just talk briefly about the just the brief scenes in the control room. No, I will see the floor to you. All right. Um I, I was just going to say that there there are two people, a man and a woman in the room. I don't know their names. I feel like we get their names who have kind of become the two main people in the control room. There's the guy who sits next to Cameron and the woman who kind of sits behind. Yes, according to um, IMDb, it's uh, the woman is Miss James, mm. I think, and the guy is is uh, Mackison. Okay, well I'll go for that. And I, I okay. <laughs> I mean, I do really miss, and, and it's sort it's sort of the same thing here that we said before. The camera is more or less in the same spot the whole time it's in the control room. It 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 tracks in a little bit. It's it's there's some close ups, but it doesn't have I I really do miss the sort of wide wideness and darkness of the big room. Yes. And and I like the fact that people seem to have specific things they did when they were in the big room. Here it really seems to be those two people are doing everything. Yeah, and you kind of see some people milling about in the background. Yes. But it, it reminds me of the the people you see ripping uh, ripping uh, sheets of paper off the ticker and giving them to Walter Cronkite during yes. an emergency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like what? Yeah, like when they got the um, the the news person is up in front, and they just see like people randomly walking by in yeah. the background. It's like should there be if this is so important? Should everyone all hands on deck? Sit down, do your it's work. Only the possible survival of the, yes. the world in the face of nuclear devastation. Yes, it's nothing please. important. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a little distracting that it feels more like. And now I know it's not, but it almost feels like um. Uh, in, instead of being like the main room, which is this huge epic room, it almost feels like I was going to say the bathroom in the um uh between the Brady kids. Um, bedrooms. Yeah. You know, because it's like, you know, um, Marsha could be there looking at her, fixing her hair, maybe looking at a pimple or something, and that could be the focus of the episode. But meanwhile, in the background, there's Greg walking by. Oh, look, there's Jan. There's, oh, what are you doing? You know, and it's like this. That's I almost feel like maybe this room is in between two other rooms. You know, it's like, oh, let's just cut through the secondary control room. Well, they're, they're trying to stop the world from being destroyed. Pff, come on. Let's just whatever. You know, I whatever. still I still say that that uh, episode worth the money in the Swiss bank account that there was more to it than we realized at the yes. time, and that's why they've sublet the rest yes. of the building up. That could be it. Yeah, I think I agree. With you. I was I was trying. I know the last few episodes I was desperately trying to um, uh, uh, justify, but in, in in this room I think in this room in this episode <laughs> just just because we we don't spend a lot of time in there. I mean, I think we actually spend more time when we're in the procurator room, like seeing them, like looking at what um, he's seeing and not doing anything. Right. You yeah. know, like suspenseful shots, like, like when he, at the end, when he's like um, uh, looking um, for the, I forget what he's looking for. Right. Or whatever. But it just, it keeps cutting to shots of like the three people kind of intently looking at what he's looking at. I thought I guess so. It's like we're watching them, watching him 
do whatever he there's some sort of meta audience thing in there that I I guess maybe that maybe that's what confused people about search there were too many people watching too many people doing things they weren't ready for it at the time look I I don't watch television <laughs> to watch Burgess Meredith watch Tony Francios on yeah. television <laughs> that's not what I'm here for I don't I don't work all day down at the plant you know and it's come home so I can do this I want to watch someone. I don't want to watch someone watching someone. That's that. That's my new theory. Uh, but um, but overall, um, overall, I think I think I think we both agree. It's it's a pretty excellent Bianco episode. Yes. And and we I I, th- I think like I said I like the fact and I think you do too that um he does he does he I mean he I think he opens a safe at one point and they help him out, um and he they do help him out, but it's <laughs> it really is more. It's not his case. Um, per se, like that, like that one case, we had one right where um, was it a Lockwood where he like went to the desert, and went rogue, and they kind of kept an eye on him. Yes. <laughs> oh, that was the one with Joanna yes. Cameron who just passed, wasn't it? ISIS. Yes, of happy memory. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but uh, but I think overall this is a solid episode, and I think, and I think the fact that he doesn't use probe much is just another variation on what the show can do they don't you know like the like the probe the, i got something in my throat <clears> throat> it, it's tickling me but not in a ha 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 way but more in a <laughs> you're annoying me fashion well um, i'll slide in here if you want to oh yes please, your please, throat. please please um, yeah. i think that well, when i look at the things that <laughs> probe control is is capable of doing it occurs to me that that their ability is connected directly with the dramatic needs of the episode. So in other words, if you've got a need for one of the agents to be surprised and slugged in the back and knocked out, then they will not have the ability to be able to get the biotechnology that would tell them that there's somebody in the room. Or if somebody is lying and their blood pressure and their heart rate are up. But if it's not a crucial part of the plot, then all of a sudden they can do things like that. Okay, I think I think I like that. I think I, I, I'm with that. I'm with that. I, I, too, maybe in an episode like this, which is sort of a little bit more detective work, maybe he does, you know, like, I was thinking... <clears throat> The um the uh, and maybe too with with Leslie Stevens kind of not being as involved I don't think at this point may, maybe like the people who were doing it were like do we constantly have to cut back to them with stuff maybe that's why the show is failing in the ratings because it's it's bothering people well there's definitely when he's the writer there there it kicks it up a notch in terms of the original concept of the yes, series yes like look at look at the uh, the probe the tv movie i mean that 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 is all about like every minute and a half to 2 minutes probe doing something yes and that's and that's the joy of the tv movies you get to see almost everything they do and then you get to see it appear briefly here and there throughout the the series but um yeah, I think it's a solid episode. I think it's a lot. Well, it's a lot of fun, and it's a good Bianca. 
episodes. So, um, do you, if you don't have anything else on this one, Mitchell, nope. I know you got to keep good. packing. You, I know you got to get back to packing. Where can we find you online, or if unless this is a witness protection thing, where <laughs> can't we find you online? I'm touching the side of my nose. You can find someone under the name Mitchell Hadley still wait, blogging wait. at itsabouttv.com. Now it's completely up to you as to whether or not you believe that the person who calls himself Mitchell Hadley is in fact Mitchell Hadley ladies and gentlemen you're on your own next time we talk to Mitchell Mitchell will be in <laughs> so uh, so we'll talk to you then Mitchell when you're in <laughs> all right everyone and now next up oh a little bit of this Let's not treat this segment like a commercial. We're talking about Kolchak episode eight, Bad Medicine, written by um, uh, L. Ford Neal and John Huff, aired November 29th, 1974, directed by Alex Grasshoff. Uh, this one features, it's based on a Native American uh, legend. Well, I, I won't go too far into it, but basically there's a giant Native American gentleman, played by Richard Keel, who is killing very rich women and stealing their jewels. And he seems to be able to shape-shift into a crow and a coyote. And Kolchak hunts him down. Hey! Bad medicine. And I'm not going to sing. I was just about to, but I'm not going to. Um, uh, this is, this is, uh, uh, this is the, I, I'm lost, the eighth episode of Kolchak. We're cooking along pretty good. We're almost at the halfway point. And I'm here, of course, as always, with Tim S. Turner. Tim, how are you today, sir? A bad medicine is what I need. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> See, he, shake he did it up. It. He did it for us, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. I was hoping you. I was hoping you would. Yeah, I have no um, shame. So, <laughs> so um, uh, well, let's dive right in. Um, uh, what uh, because yeah, this episode, as as you all will hear, um, when the um, in the next segment when we discuss the first episode of our brand new old show, it's a lengthy chat because it's a lengthy thing. So we're gonna dive right in. Um. Uh, Tim, what uh, what are your thoughts on bad your first thoughts on bad medicine? Boom. Uh, well, I again, I, I I'm probably sounding like a broken record. I enjoyed it. Um, it, it first appearance of Richard Keel uh, yes. on the show uh, as the Diablero, and um, there, there's a lot to like in this episode. Uh, I, I I guess I, I'm not quite sure how to approach this as far as I, I don't know if some people might think it's got like a racist bent to it. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cause I mean, you do have the great Victor Jory playing an, a native American, even though he's not. Um, but, uh, and same with Keel. But uh, I, I think if you just go from a pure suspense uh, perspective, I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. I, I think it's, it's got a, it's got a great opening. Um, it's it's funny. This one opens uh, in a in a variation of the way the, the 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 previous one opened with like two just stock shots of like things exploding. This one has two brief scenes of sort of like 
older socialites getting murdered by the gigantic Richard Keel, who is a coyote and who is a crow or, or what, a raven or a big black bird of yeah. some variety. And it is, I mean, the first time you see Richard Keel and they've got him sort of, forgive me, I sort of browned up. And, yeah, um, he's got bronzer, it looks like. Yeah. Yes, yes, and leaning forward to kill. It's, um, it's yeah, I, I do wonder, I mean, to me, that's just the kind of stuff they did then. Right. That's, that's just the way they did it. So so I don't, um, uh, I, I, could, I could see someone watch and be like, no, I'm going to skip this one. But I don't think you should, because he's very good. He's a very imposing, <laughs> scary um, like like in the scene when the cops are trying to kill him when he's standing on the top of the steps mm-hmm. and they're shooting at him and shooting at him. He's he's very imposing. And and in the final sequence when Carl kind of accidentally knocks something over and he comes after Carl, you're like, oh, <laughs> be careful, Carl. He will yeah. pick you up. I mean, we've all seen him as Jaws, obviously, but he will pick you up and he will throw you out of that building. Oh yeah. And so I, th- I I think he's a he's an imposing presence, and I I like the um. I pardon me. I like the I like all the mythology behind the Diablero Same. and everything, yeah. and I I think it's it it, it like the like the the previous episode, for example, you know pretty much that right away that the Talbot, I'm sorry, the um the Palmer character is he's up to something not nice, and he might be that dog, and the amulet is his, and you kind you kind of you you you're you're a bit uh, a bit ahead of Carl through some of it. Um, just because we've probably seen so many things like this. Yeah. Um, but in, in this one, the great thing is, like, it's like, uh, you know, when he goes, when Carl goes to speak to Alice Ghostly and says, like, yes, um, do you know any legends of Indian legends of, you know, really big guy who steals jewels and walks around with his dog? <laughs> and she says something like, oh, a boy and his dog story. I love those so much. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and the great thing about this is that unlike something where it's like, okay, this guy is possessed with Satan or has a pact with Satan, which, you know, we would have seen like Rosemary's Baby, things like that. Um, th- this one, you don't really know what's happening. And gradually the gaps get filled in and filled in until uh, Chief Rolling Thunder shows up and adds sort of the final bits. And it's kind, it's kind of a nice, we're, we're, we're learning as Carl learns, which I like. And um, and it has a great, I mean, I love an ending that's got some heights to it where they're up in this building. And although... Although we don't really see, we don't really, maybe I should save that for a little later. I was going to mention uh, the uh, ending in the um, the building where it's a, it's a skyscraper, but they only finish the first five floors. Right. So it's, it's 40 floors, and presumably floor six up is kind of like all, you, you know, no walls, just structure, the structure, the basic structure of it. And obviously, I, you know, they didn't have a building like that as far as I can see I, I don't remember a building like that they're not going to build a model of it because it's going to look goofy <laughs> uh, so so you have to kind of take it for granted when Carl goes into this building that he's going into a building where once you hit floor 6 it's unfinished and, and I bought it pretty much I bought it I will say that the Blu-ray does sort of when you, when you see the uh, D- Diablero with his jewels and you see sort of the cityscape be, beyond him it does it's um, it, it's sort of like in the um, I'm sorry for Doctor Whoing it again, but in the <laughs> Doctor Who story, the Ark in space, yes. where they're on the Nerva beacon, 
they have the best hallways in the world where there's this thin walkway and then just all these big squares open to space. Now, obviously, there's some sort of atmosphere around it. But when I was a kid, even now, I absolutely love that design. And you could just see the stars out there. And back when I watched it on PBS or I had the VHS, I completely bought it. But once you get to it being on Blu-ray, you can sort of see, okay, those are a bunch of like Christmas lights right. hanging on a back wall. And that's not their fault. Because they didn't expect it to appear on Blu-ray or, or you know some something a higher definition thing years later, but you can sort of see um, that I still buy it. I still completely entranced by. It. But this this the sort of the closing sequence with Diablero up there is you can sort of see the lights out there. They're not as convincing of a cityscape as they were when it was in lower definition and a little darker. But I still buy it. I'm still all, I'm still all in. Well, I will say though that that scene at the end where he does confront him, where he's kind of spying on him, while he's got that fire going, yes. and he's he's I got the the gems and everything. The lighting on his face is so creepy. Yeah, it almost yes, looks like he really has no good. pupils. It's really yes. well done. Um, it's, it's... I, I I have to say uh, I wish. We had gotten more of Victor Jory, actually. He's really good. He's really I good, thought, and yeah. I, I've always liked him anyway. He's a good actor, mm. and, uh, I mean, hell, he, he played the shadow in that serial back in the – was it oh, like, that's right. 1940? Yeah, the, yes, 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 yes. Uh, and uh, I, I, I always liked him. Uh, Alice Ghostly is uh, – Alice Ghostly. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, Joy. She's, she's, yeah. she's cute. And, uh, mm. you know, we've got a, a nice cameo by Marvin Kaplan. As the, oh, the ex-con yes. barber, but, yeah, that's a very funny scene. And it is a great scene, you know. And I love anything with Marvin Kaplan because I yes. there's just something about him, whether he's in a comedy or a drama, he's he's always funny. Yeah, this was around the time of the severed arm. Yes, yes, which he's in, and he's you know he's a little less goofy in that, but he's still Marvin Kaplan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to look at my notes here. Uh, Oh, I was going to say the thing I like, Alice Ghostly, this was like a year or so after this, she played um, uh, the Queen Bee on the first episode of Monster Squad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, which I, which is her in a giant bee suit. Yeah. Um, and I will talk about Monster Squad on the show one day, folks. I promise you. I keep, I keep, on two occasions, I've almost had it set up with a guest and they both fallen through. But I've been, um, we're recording this right around Halloween. And I've been watching, rewatching Monster Squad along with uh, Sabrina and the Groovy Ghoulies, which I would love to also <laughs> talk about on the show. So, um, but yeah, she did, and she's also in one of my favorite. To take it back to the beginning of Adventure Super Train, one of my favorite episodes of Cobra, oh, wow. where she she is like a, um, she was like the, um, uh, uh, I I forget if it's she was like the housekeeper of like a mobster, but also kind of the mobster's lover. Two, and she has some information that she's going to turn over to the feds kind of thing so the gangsters are after her so scandal michael dudikoff has to protect her for a few it's one of those you know keep her safe until she has to go to court kind of thing right and it's just a real i mean i you know i love michael dudikoff uh but there's something about her with alice ghostly she's so funny in the episode and her character is like a uh, a breath of fresh air in the show, which I do love, but and she's so fun with Michael Dudikoff because you can see that he's having fun acting with her. Yeah, 
And so, and so it's like, it's possibly, I don't know if it's the best episode of that show. I forget what it's called. It's a, If you look at the titles of the episode, it's a woman's name. It's her name. But I forget what her name was. But I always like when I see Alice Ghost. And she's fun in this, the couple of scenes she's in. Because at, at first her, um, you could tell she's 100% um, humoring Carl. Yeah. But then when Carl when Carl picks the Diablero suit, she's like, really? And then it becomes a little more serious. So so I li- I like that. Yeah. By the way, I love that Diablero statue. It just yeah. happens to look exactly like Keel, you know. And she's like, yeah. the camera's panning around the room, and he's looking and he's like, around, nope, you know. Nope. And all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, I kind of look like that. And it's like this. <laughs> Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It looks like a gigantic uh, Richard Keel action figure. Yes, I'm surprised I didn't zoom in. Yeah, yeah. it's a um, it's a great shot. Uh, the uh, the there there is a scene. I think for the first time in a few episodes, they have a scene uh, a la Night Stalker, Night Strangler, Ripper, where the cops are chasing our villain. A, a, in, this time chasing him throughout a um, uh, like a bank or a jewelry exchange or something like yes. that, and it, which culminates with him up on a, on a great roof and leaping off of the roof. Right. And obviously, when he leaps off of the roof, he becomes the bird because you kind of. It's weird because there's there's a bird noise, but then there's this weird treated, almost synth bird noise. Yes. Too. And so, like when he runs up to, and there's a great shot of Kolchak pulling away from the hotel. And the camera is on the roof. Oh yeah! And the bird is in the foreground next to a jewel, and you see in the in the back down on the ground, Carl pull away. I thought that's that's nice. It's great because um, the bird almost does a take at the camera. Yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of a huh? Like, huh? Can you believe this? this? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and when when you see the Diablero run up to the roof and leap off of it, um, it's uh, at, right when he's about to leap off of it. It's weird because I think you hear that synthesized noise just for a second or two. Yeah. He disappears, and then you hear the bird noise. And I thought, I thought that was the bird noise. But that's actually, that must be the Diablero noise. And the bird noise is a separate noise. I don't know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, well, he never speaks, so maybe that's his weird noise. Of, I don't yeah. know. Mm-hmm. I, I love, and I love the, um, uh, just the when Chief Rolling Thunder, and yes, I know what you're saying. Hey, Dan, isn't one of your favorite sort of low-budget, chintzy, mid-'80s uh, heavy metal favorite uh, bands called Attila? And don't they have an album called Rolling Thunder? <laughs> yes, yes, they do. And it's not the Attila with Billy Joel that he was in in the 70s. This is a, this is a New York uh, metal trio. And yes, I, I do have the remastered Rolling Thunder um, on <laughs> CD. And yes, it did come with dog tags. I'm not 100% sure why. There is a song called Thermonuclear Warfare <laughs> on there. So, But Rolling Thunder. <laughs> Rolling Thunder. Look, I, I can't judge. I've got a bunch of op- uh, you know, like operable uh, sonic screwdrivers and... Oh yeah, well there you go. <laughs> there you, go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I I I was going to say that I love a chief rolling thunder. Um, uh, the um, and if you want to hear, um, there there is I think you can find it online. There is a Mausoleum Records in uh, Europe in the mid '80s put out a compilation called Metal Over America, uh, which has ten songs on it, and I think it's got one it's got one Attila song on it. And it was in the one review I've read of it. It was just described as almost as if, because it was released in Europe, almost as if Mausoleum didn't want people there to listen to American metal, because a lot of it's not very good. I love it myself, <laughs> but I don't know what tangent this is. Oh, it's Rolling Thunder, Attila. So, 
<laughs> but Rolling Thunder tells the story, and I love when he gets to, uh, uh, because he was greedy, and he has to accumulate jewels um, before he goes to, I think, the River of the Seven Winds, mm-hmm. which, which I thought was lovely. And I googled River of the Seven Winds, and guess what came up? Um, some album. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> you're close. Yeah, it's the side of some guy's van. No, um, no, no. A river of the Se- a transcript of this episode. Yeah. So that was the first thing that came up, and I was like, River of the Seven Winds. The first thing that came up, and I thought, Oh, there it is. Before he can go to the river of the Seven. Wait a minute. I just heard him say this. Okay. So I thought maybe that was a thing. I thought maybe that was like a Native American thing, it's like the River of the Seven Winds. I find it's very evocative. Yeah, Jory's basically there as a human exposition dump. Yes, yes. He Carl gets <laughs> Carl, Carl gets like sixty two thirds of the way, but he doesn't have um, that that extra knowledge, and that that comes out. I think we'll see that. I want to say in the next episode there's something similar where he he go, gets like two thirds of the way, but then he needs someone on the inside, as it were, to just give him that little kick, yeah, little extra bit. <laughs> and I, I love I love in the end the because um, because one of the things is Diablero can't see its own image, um, and just the way Carl starts smashing mirrors and the way he holds up this one piece of mirror is very um. He's Carl. He saved. He did it. He saved the day again. Who knows how many lives he just saved? Boom. Well, my question is, how many how many jewels does he need exactly? True. Because he sure I, I, seems I, to get a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, and I'm I'm wondering if um, I'm wondering if like the people who place the curse on him are just goofing with him. <laughs> you know, like he's he he's never gonna make it to the river of the seven winds. Hey, what are you guys? Yeah, yeah, what are you what are you guys what are you guys laughing at? Oh, nothing, Diablero, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> what a schmuck! And they and they just they they just send him out because that that's what it felt like to me that it was like a um a Sisyphus kind of thing. It's never gonna happen. Is he's gonna he's just gonna accumulate jewels forever and ever. And he hoping he'll he'll get where he needs to be, but um, not getting there. So did he just and, appear in Chicago, or has he been around the world getting jewels? Or I, I, I think my thought was that he's been around the world getting jewels, and they're also because they have they're having they talk about that that big jewel get together that they right. have that that Carl tr- tries to get into and does a decent job until you know he does one of those things where it's like um um. Well, yes, you should let me in because I'm this well, woman's uh, valet, blah blah blah, whatever, yes. and I'm going to I'm going to represent her. Well, uh, you know, we did invite her. Well, you know, I'm going to talk to Mrs. You know, I don't know, Mrs. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a good name, Mrs. Mrs. Parkins or something like that. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell my lady that uh, Mrs. Parkins said that we could be here, and oh, there's Mrs. Parkins now. Yeah. Oh, Mrs. Parkins, do you know him? No. No, I know I don't. It's uh, it's it's like it reminds me of Love and Death when uh, Woody Allen, Diane Keaton are pretending to be like the ambassador from Spain. Yeah. And 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 they get caught and they're getting dragged out and he's yelling like, "I'm gonna, you you can't do this to the ambassador of Spain!" And all of a sudden the ambassador shows up. Oh, you can't do this. Oh, there he is now. Okay, kind of thing. And <laughs> well, the line that they get is a great condescending line because originally. Carl says, well, my name's Carl Colworth. And, yes. and he's like, oh, is that, are you related to the, uh, you know, the Boston Colworth or whatever? It's like, or the Woolworth people. Woolworth, like, well, yes, yes. they were into wool. We were into coal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
so then when he gets revealed is like you know no i'm not i don't really belong there the guy's like oh so you're from the the hoboken cold chest yes 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 <laughs> yeah yeah oh snooty oh snooty <laughs> but then somehow he's able to um to keep himself in there and um uh keep a watchful eye out and again with his uh with his flash camera almost saves the day I think are all the people in that room dead? Uh, they I forget. say yes that they all get their yes, necks are okay. broken. Yes, that's right. Yeah, he does that. Pr- I mean, when you see like the first lady, he kills the little old lady when he reaches for her neck with his hand. Oh, his hand's like, huge. He's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna just crush her face yeah. or something. This is gonna, this is, yeah, I can't. Wow, yeah. Uh, what else do you have on this one? Oh, um, what, what something that comes up more than once is him saying uh, expletives deleted. Yes. He says that at least two or three times when he's talking about something, uh, which I which I actually didn't catch until the end of the second time I watched it, so I wasn't able to write down more than I think he says that a few times. So I'm no help with that. What exactly it's there for? But obviously he's he's trying not to swear on network television. Yeah. Well, I will. Th- there's a couple of things that I noticed that I thought were well. One of them was really well done. Uh, uh, as far as the direction goes, um, when he kills that woman who's in the limousine, mm-hmm. you see her. She looks out the window, and you see <clears throat> the uh, the chauffeur getting attacked on his head yes. by the blackbird, right? Mm-hmm. And the blackbird's at the window, and then you see uh, the perspective of the outside, and the window uh, goes up. She tries to close the window. And then as it goes up, then you see Keel's face, and I thought yes. that was a really great transition the yeah. way they did that. Yeah, um, great scene. But uh, mm-hmm. my favorite thing in the episode, I, and it comes off almost like it was. Um, and I'd like it's one of those things I'd like to ask David Chase about. Um, it comes off to me like it was an improv line because it's done in such a throwaway fashion and they cut away so quickly uh Mm -hmm. carl says uh, i'm taking the rest of the afternoon off and buying some new clothes and you hear miss emily go finally (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) that's a a great moment yeah yeah that that made me laugh because it's like the way they did it though it comes off like it wasn't scripted yes you know what i mean yeah yeah it does feel like that yeah uh, I, I, I do one of the, uh, I, I do like the moment when he goes to the dog trainer mm-hmm. to uh, talk to, and he's got one of those dogs that you speak in German to. Yes. And um, I'll, I'll go look up this footprint. What uh, and then says something in German to the dog. What, what did you say to the dog? Oh, I told him to keep you company while I was gone. And you just see this angry looking dog. Yeah. <laughs> Looking at Carl, and he's like, well, he took on an angry dog in the last episode. Who was who looked a, a bit uh, heftier? I suppose this one could maybe run faster. Probably, I don't know. Yeah. You don't want you don't want to fight with it anyways if it if it only speaks German. <laughs> and, the, and I love Vincenzo's response when when Carl shows him a picture of a dead dog, and Carl uh, and and Vincenzo looks at and goes, "Great, a picture of a dead dog." Yeah, and and that's 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 about it. <laughs> Poor Carl. He. <laughs> Uh, so what else do you have about this one? I'm gonna I'm gonna do a do a scan. Uh, you know I, I I think that's pretty much it for mm-hmm. me. But uh, I think we might be seeing Richard Keel again soon. Yes, yes. So um, uh, I I I, w- I will admit the o- the only part of the episode that that um I thought could have been a little shorter. And if it's your if it's one of your favorite parts, then forget I said that. Was when <laughs> Carl's go going up the steps. 
You know, it's it's fun like like in Ghostbusters when they're going up all the steps to get to the top of the building. That's a funny sequence. But watching Carl do it, we get it, Carl. You got to climb forty steps, forty floors. Yeah, and it's it's tough. But it's just like at that point in the episode, you want him to get to the Diablero, and it seems like one comedy sequence too far. Almost like, like we know he has to go up the steps and we know it's going to make him tired, but I felt like it went on maybe like 30, 40 seconds too long. Like he could have gotten there a little bit quicker. Yeah, I, I think it uh, it does kind of undercut the suspense of the moment. Yeah, it, it kind of, it, it's, 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 yeah, it's, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a comparable example, but I can't really think of something where we're moving towards a, a big ending. And then, like, a movie or an episode of something stops for a little shtick or something like that, which kind of takes you out of it a little. Because I get it, and I like that, that he has to go up the 40 floors, because um, it's... I bought it that he had gone up 40 floors, but it's also like, you know that way up there, like, the nearest human being, unless there are people squatting in the, in the empty floors, like, the nearest human being is 45 floors away, the Night Watchman. Yeah. You know, or maybe maybe on the fifth floor. I don't think they have anyone in there. There's no one in the building, is there? I don't think so. Uh, I forget. Yeah, if I think they said there's nothing past the fifth floor or something like that. Okay. So. So, so, so you're 40, 40 <clears throat> floors away from another human being, and you're on a floor that's exposed to downtown Chicago, 45 stories up in the air, kind of. And I, I, I like that. I like it does, it does give a feeling of, okay, it's just him and the Diablero. He's not going to get any help. He, he's out there. But it, it does get a little too, bit like, too much like, okay, what are you going to show him going on every floor? Come on, just yeah. pick it up. We got it. <laughs> we got it. You're, you're redressing the same staircase. Okay, let's go. Let's get there. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's, that's oh, the Diablero in his outfit. And the uh, the wax figure is just on the screen right now. He looks exactly like him. Yeah. Yep. There you go. There you go. Um, so if, if you don't have anything else uh, for this one, Tim, uh, where can we find you online? Well, uh, you can find me and my co-host Kelly Hogaboom on Beauty, okay. the Beast, and the Bees, which is a podcast uh, covering bee films and genre film. Um, you know, we have the standard Facebook page, Instagram, and Twitter feeds, and all that good stuff. So. Uh, if you want to check us out, we're going to be covering Halloween Kills on our next episode and a couple other uh, video picks, and uh, it should be fun. Thank you, thank you. And when he says bees, he doesn't mean like Alice Ghostly is the queen bee. No. He means bee <laughs> as in bee movie. I mean, you might do something like The Swarm or something like that oh, yeah. at some point. But um, but that that's a different thing. So thank you, everyone, for uh, joining us for Bad Medicine. And now we are going on to the first episode of a brand new old show that I think most of you will be very familiar with. L listen to this theme, and you got 10 seconds. I'll, I'll, I'm going to play the theme. You got 15 seconds to guess what it is. I'm going to come back after 15 seconds. You're in trouble if you don't know what it is. Listen to this. Catch where that music is from, everyone. Yep, it's time. One of the biggies, Glenn A. Larson's BJ and what? Oh, Battlestar Galactica. BG, not PJ. Ha 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 ha
Saga of a Star World, directed by Richard A. Cola, written by Glenn A. Larson. Original air date is September 17th, 1978. This is, if you ever saw Battlestar Galactica, the movie, this is the longer version of that. Battlestar Galactica, the movie, is two hour and four minute version of this, which is, this is the three, this was the three hour episode that aired over on a, on a, on a, well, I'll, I'll get back to you when, um, as to when this uh, actually aired and such uh, next time, because we got a lot to cover now. <laughs> and so, forgive me, um, but um, September 17th, three-hour episode, and, and the next week, September 24th, is a one-hour episode, Lost Planet of the Gods, episode one. And you may be saying, hey, Dan, it's three hours. Why isn't this a mini-sode? And I'd say, first, mind your own business. No, I would never say that. You all are too <laughs> nice to me. That's not... That's not a, something I'd ever say. Um, it, it's because uh, per Merrill, if there's more than like two weeks in between the opening episode, if it's two or three hours long, and the next episode, which is the regular length, and they sort of share the same time slot, like Saga of a Star World aired around the time slot where Battlestar Galactica aired. When it began properly a week later. Well, technically it began, which I'm getting confused. But... I just say, look at it this way. Um, Search. Kolchak. Kolchak. Both Search and Kolchak. Search began in early 1972 with a two-hour TV movie. Six months later, it began as an hour-long show. Kolchak began in 72 with a TV movie. 73, another TV movie. Then September 74, it began with a show. Saga of a Star World aired. I got to look it up. I I can't quote it. I believe it was a Sunday night in, in 1978. And if you're listening, saying, no, Dan, it wasn't. It was everyone's favorite Wednesday. I'm going to get back to it in the next episode. I, I, I'm trying to keep it short here. Um, and now I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, Battlestar Galactica. What a great show. So so the three-hour thing aired over the course of an evening. Sunday evening, September 17, 1978. And then the next week, the first hour-long episode aired. So to me, that's not a separate thing. The pilot, like Shadow Chasers, the pilot is within the realm of the show. Not like, like Last Precinct episode, the 90-minute the thing aired after the Super Bowl. The next episode aired six months later. Very separate mini-sode on that. Battlestar Galactica, no. Which means this is going to be an extra-long episode. Hey, everyone, Sag of a Star World. So basically... Somewhere in our galaxy, somewhere in the cosmos, somewhere, somewhere, the humans and human-esque people are caught in a war with the Cylons, who are, as far as I know, robots. They've been fighting for ages and ages. And uh, uh, there's going to be a big truce. Hooray! There's going to be a big truce. And the Cylons and the humans are going to meet. It's going to be great. And the old guys who run the human race are awesome and excited and just feeling good about themselves and everything but um the Battlestar Galactica I think which is the biggest Battlestar the Battlestars are these basically these big ships from the 12 there are 12 colonies of humanity and each one has like a Battlestar and the Galactica is the biggest one and a couple of guys on the Battlestar Starbuck and Apollo uh, one of whom, uh, Apollo is Adama's dad. Adama is the commander of the Galactica. You're going to find all this out. This is, I don't even know why I'm saying this to everyone. I think if you're listening to this, you go, oh, Battlestar Galactica, you know exactly what's happening. Basically, the silence are full of crap, 
and with a guy named Baldar, who's one of the heads of one of the 12 colonies, they attack the 12 colonies and wipe almost everyone out. But the Galactica has kind of had um, a bit of warning. So they're able to get away and sort of a ragtag group of, uh, look at here, 220 civilian ships arrive and follow alongside the Galactica throughout the galaxy looking for the planet they only know as their sister planet called Earth. And they're trying to find that to, to land on. And so they're going there, and at the same time, the Cylons are trying to attack them and kill them, and Baldar is being a jerk, and they've got a lot of, would you call them refugees? Just a lot of people who, who were on the colonies and who, the colonies were destroyed, and now they're on the ships. I guess you'd call them refugees. And they're on there, and but there are also a lot of like rich heads of the 12 colonies who are taking advantage of all sorts of things. And the first sort of half of the, Two hour and twenty four minutes. I mean, keep keep that in mind. That's that's a hundred and that's that's a hundred and forty three minutes. Hundred and forty four minutes. Let's keep in mind. That's I think that's the length of Skyfall, the James Bond film, um, and I know and a lot of other films. So I think Superman, the original Superman, was around that length. Um, and this is that this is that length. This is the same year as Superman, in fact, and. Uh, so they're trying to find a place they can go where they can rest. The Battlestar Galactica and all these little ships because the silence are after them. And the first half of the episode is the attack, the destruction, the almost genocide of the humans. And the second half is them trying to find somewhere new to go, the Earth, or just trying to run from the silence. And there is... They get caught up in an adventure in the second half, and we're going to talk about that in detail here. I'm not going to go into that here, but just just let let it be known that this begins the series with this group of ships led by the Galactica trying to find the planet Earth. Uh, you are about to meet my friend Chris Christopher Bly. He's a very good guy, and uh, he and I will be um, doing Galactica cast. We'll be going through all the episodes of Galactica, and hopefully, if he would then to join me um we would we are also going to do um galactica 1980 but we'll see how that how that works so let's dive right in note one note we had all kinds of audio trouble during this so there will be some moments and it was unfortunately it was probably my goof but it was on his side there are moments when he sort of there's strange pauses here and there so maybe a half a dozen times he'll be saying something like, hey, I loved it because I had bologna in my hand and vinegar too. And, you know, it would be something like that. You know, it will be just this weird moment. You know, he's saying like, I'm wearing a hat and I'm thinking I'm a cowboy. And then the sheep punch me in the nuts. You know, something like that. It'll be a weird kind of jump. And I decided rather than edit around what he was saying and eliminate stuff he was saying, we're just jumping. So you will hear moments when he, he pauses for a moment and then he comes back a moment later and you're like, huh, what, did he, what was he saying? Work with it. Rock with it. You'll love it. He's good. Um, and I think this is a good chat of Saga of a Star World. So let me play a little blast of something. And um, hold on because this one is lengthy. All right, everyone. You knew we would get here eventually. Battlestar Galactica, and I know what you all are saying. You thought I was going to say another Glenn A. Larson show. Te technically, yes, that that is where we are. It's another Glenn A. Larson show, um, and this this one, uh, of course, is Battlestar Galactica. We I think we all 
whether we like it or not, we probably all encounter Battlestar Galactica in one form or another in our lifetimes. And I am here with a, a brand new guest host who's who's going to be this. This is our Galactica cast within eventually Super Train. You know, it's like McLeod in four and one kind of thing. It's it's awesome. <laughs> I, I got a gentleman here named Christopher Bly. He's a good chap, and he is going to join me talking Galactica. How are you, Christopher? I'm good, Daniel. How are you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Yeah. I'm ready to. I I think I I tend to dilly dally and and go off on tangents, but because this is I think the longest episode of anything we'll ever mm. discuss on here, possibly, I possibly, yeah. Um, uh, th- then we should just dive right in. So, Chris, there you go. um, c- c- just give us give us your basic like. Did you grow up with the show? Did you discover it a year ago? Did you never hear of it uh, before? I had. You know? So basically, I, you know, I, I, when I was two, the show debuted. And, you know, don't have the greatest memory of it, but, you know, dribs and drabs. I remember when it was advertised. I remember they were having things. And big deals had come about. And then luckily on Channel 9 here in New York, they had reran the show somewhere in the mid-'80s. And I got to quote, catch a bit of it, you know, and then, you know, just here and there. Uh, and I, I always was uh, somebody say, like, oh, I'm real interested in this. See where they're going to go with this and everything. And then later on in life, the DVDs came out. And uh, that great packaging with the Cylon head uh, is very hard to resist. And um, I figured that that would be kind of my uh, my gate gatekeeping to say, like, you know what? I, this is going to be the time to actually catch the show. And mm-hmm. no problems, no, no probably in the best quality, because God knows when I was watching at that time, there was some static. Yeah. And getting to watch these uh, as we are going to uh, within the next um, – within these episodes here, um, it's going to be almost like watching it for the first time. So, you know, it's oh, going to be like a nice, fresh perspective, I think, for the both of us here. Yay. Excellent. Thank you. I – yeah, I, I, I was uh, five when it premiered. And I, oh, wow. I, I, and as I as as I've said many 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 times on this show, I, when I was a kid, I had a tough time watching hour long television, and the <laughs> the only I don't know why it is sitcoms I could watch, but but hour long dramatic or whatever television on American TV, I just couldn't. I had a tough time watching it. Uh, the the few shows I could watch were, um, uh, I I enjoyed Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, you know mm. that that you know that that that's good or bad. I don't know. I watched an episode <laughs> last Christmas. I watched the Christmas episode. I think they all dress up as Santa and drive around. And I thought it was one of the, one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Uh, well, it's like it's one of those things where you watch it when you're young and you say like, I, you know, I used to love this, but now that I look at it, it's like I just say, oh, geez, how how crummy is that? You know, it's like or just you know, you know, what was I thinking watching this yes. one? Hey, even they were thinking of like, why is this so high in the ratings at that time with Dallas? Say like, yes, hey, exactly. watching Dukes. Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Dukes of Dallas. Dukes of Dukes on the mm. Sunday, Dallas on the Friday. We knew what we wanted. True. The double D ranch as it is, yes. Yes. Um, and th- that show and MacGyver was one I was able to watch for a couple of years. And I used to love the Wild Wild West when it was syndicated. Ah, Jim- yeah, yeah. You love us. Mm. Yeah, and so but, – but apart from that, I had a tough time with hour-long shows. I vaguely remember um, Battlestar Galactic. I, well, I remember it being on and I remember I had a cousin, Kenny, who was um, one of those guys who was like – Man, if they cancel Battlestar Galactica, oh man, what am I gonna do? You know, and he was just like when when they canceled that he was like he was inconsolable. You know, where's Kenny? You know, he's oh, he's hiding oh, in the wow. basement behind the furnace. He he won't come out unless was, they bring him back. 
Was he close to South Park? Is my question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he. Well, when, 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 um, <laughs> when, uh, when Galactica eighty came on, he was really excited for about twenty minutes. Uh, but if we if we ever get to Galactica eighty we nineteen eighty we could discuss uh, that. But but yeah, I, I had I had um I had some friends who were really crazy into it. I I have owned for years the Crack magazine that has Battlestar Galactica parody in it. Although I did not read it for oh, wow. this. I I will I have yep. it in a stack here. And somewhere in my stack, I happen to have the uh, TV guide when it debuted, and it's a great TV mm. guide because there's a lot of ads in there for stuff. In oh, addition yeah. to Battlestar Galactica, but we'll go into that into a, at a future time there. Yes, but uh, yeah, dig that out and, I, and uh, we'll we'll delve. But they, yeah. the marketing that they did for it is ABC would uh, for most of their stuff, even the ABC movie of the week, which they had like the greatest marketing for. I said like, mm. well, they did put that machine into there for uh, uh, Galactica when it first came on for sure. So yes, I, I remember it. Um, I remember it like f- just being something really big, and then just being gone. Hmm. And oh, and of course, obviously, duh, BJ and the Bear, which began <laughs> a few months after Battlestar Galactica, was an hour-long show. That ain't Sheriff Lobo, yeah. Yep, and of course, that's a Glenn A. Larson yeah. show too. Um, uh, but uh, but but what happened with Battlestar Galactica is I sort of encountered it on and off throughout my life when the the reboot began around the same time when Doctor Who came back in two thousand five. And I remember mm. I saw the first, I saw two episodes of the Battlestar Galactica reboot from the first season, one which involved some sort of big party and one which involved a lot of shooting and f- f- fights and things. And I remember watching those along with the episode Rose, the first Doctor Who back uh, in huh. 2005. And I remember like sitting in a room with a bunch of like tough guys, you know, who were like, yeah, this Battlestar Galactica, this is awesome. And I, I, I was like, "This is so great!" And one guy, one guy was very—he um, was a marine, and he told me that he loved the show because it was—he, he, you know, he could see a lot of like mil- real, like military stuff and things happen. I was like, "That's awesome!" And then when that was done, they said, "So what do you got, Dan?" <clears throat> uh, I have a show called Doctor Who. It's a, it's an episode called Rose. Uh, the star is a woman named Billy Piper who was a big bubblegum pop star in the uk you're gonna love this mm. and they sat there for 45 minutes they i think they enjoyed it but when they got mm. to the end of it they were like mm, that may not be for us and i thought you know i, I said to them I, I i think i knew that before it began but it wasn't total uh, crickets but it was a crackle yeah. exactly yeah it was it was sort of like they they were they they laughed at the right points and things like that but they just got to the end and they were like i don't i don't fully understand that and I was like, okay, I got it, I got it. But so, so like the Battlestar Galactica reboot shows up, and for a few years there, they were proclaiming it to be like the best sci-fi show in the world. And then I think somewhere in there, kind of like the quality dropped, and they stopped saying that as loud. Um, but I think there's still people who say that. But what happened was 2013, I was working from home, doing transcription, probably like Ancient Aliens or something, um, uh, and I was looking for a new show to watch, and I put on Netflix, and they had Battlestar Galactica on there. Oh, wow. And so I just hit play. And over the next month, I watched the entire series. And then about maybe a year after that, I picked up the um, the Blu-ray set, the red Blu-ray set. That is right. what, it's what, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 Blu-rays? 18 Blu-rays? Oh, wow. 
it's it's the show full frame. It's the show widescreen. Same with Galactica 1980 and the movie. <laughs> so oh, it's wow. it's really it's 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 a hell of a set. And I probably yeah. watched it about four times since then, all the way through. So so picking out the show, finding a fan like yourself, yeah, was like so you know let's 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 talk about this. Let's have fun. So I'm enough of my yak and Very cool. <laughs> Chris. What 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 is your? I'm good. I'm just gonna sit back. And I'm gonna. What do you think? Your 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 overall thoughts on Saga of a Star World, and then we can get more specific after I give mine. Uh, well, it's an intriguing, th- like kind of like a real three parter, where it kind of goes into a different couple of th- different couple of directions there. But it's it basically is like you know we got one part connecting to the other, connecting to the other, and uh, it's it's got overall like you know the the uh, we're gonna have peace, but then we have a traitor. And then from the traitor, we have to go like okay, now we got to find this whole new thing. It was. It was pretty exhilarating to watch, you know, of uh, how they they managed to put all of this into what was basically a three-hour block on television, and um, and also for anybody who has the DVD set, um, I think they have a, there was a couple of different there was a different ending, actually got knocked off and mm-hmm. somehow on this one they revived that character. Um, mm-hmm. And you'll know exactly who, basically, from watching the whole thing. Yes. But yeah. seeing all those guest stars, getting getting to see all these uh, you know, different people involved there, and I mean, you had everyone's favorite dad at that time uh, uh, from the the uh, Ponderosa Ranch there, mm-hmm. um, yes. Warren Green, now being introduced to a whole new generation as another father to a couple of other people that are in another frontier this yes. time out of space, and uh, that was very exciting. And um, just like I said, a lot of the pop-ups that pop up is great, but also, too, everything flowed, and it, it mixed a lot of stuff in there. Like, it, it could be bizarre. It could be fun. It could be yeah. – it just basically had a lot of that, you know, we have, like, our scoundrel adventurer that, you know, would, would rather be gambling, but he smokes his cigars but still is our leader. And then you have the one that's got the straight straight ahead, like, you know, no, I'm, I'm, give, you know, I'm, I'm in this for everything, and guess what? My dad happens to be – you yeah. know the, the, the commander, <laughs> and I'm I'm on on something because guess what they took my brother, who yeah. ends up being Rick Springfield. I mean it's yes. I have to say also too about this too. A lot of there's a lot of screams and yells in this uh, pilot <laughs> episodes. Mm-hmm. Probably it's almost like you have a drinking game. If there's a scream <laughs> or a yell, take a drink. Yes, yeah. It was that, but it was, but uh, with everything that's mixed into there, you know, it connected all, and it was you know it does kind of leave it off. Say like. Okay, I want to see more, but you know, but now we're led into this this tale of now we're, we we've all lost our colonies, and now guess what? We have to go find that new place at the mm. big revelation, which I'm sure that's where they put the commercial. It's called yes. Earth. Earth. You know, it's like dun dun dun. Uh, yeah. And uh, so it was. It was a great. It's it's a great lead to say like, hey, I want to see more of this. You know, so mm. that my my big sum up on that one is basically saying like, great. I want to see where this goes from here, and that's probably the reason. And like from hearing some of the commentary by Richard Hatch, funny enough, uh, he had mentioned that I think it was originally supposed to be a seven-part miniseries. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. They and, said, uh, yeah. Which I would have intri- been intrigued to see where they would have gone had they gone that direction and say, okay, we got the seven-part miniseries. Now we're going to do a TV show, you know, which mm-hmm. eventually V practically did that, you know, in the True. 80s. True, yeah, yeah. And then, and, you know, and a couple of – and you, you, if you see, there are kind of parallels a little bit, you know, if you think about it, mm-hmm. particularly with the uh, uh, the villain species because we're also – you know, True. We're also, yes. Because we're told that there is a serpent element to this. And I said, mm-hmm. well, if you kind of look at the Imperial leader – it's first off, that's a freaky looking thing. Yes. 
<laughs> Secondly, we don't see the damn thing talking except in shadow. But third, if you look at it really close, I was always thinking somebody was going to climb up and attack this thing, and all of a sudden it would be like venom or something yes. like that. That kind of frightening thing. But overall, I got to say, you know, it's a it's it's fun. It's suspenseful. It 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 pretty much plants seeds that will I, I I'm presuming are, are going to be. Um, making the episodes, the episodes that we're going to be watching within the next couple episodes of this. So, yeah, yeah. My um, my uh, my overall thought is that I, I I think yeah, this is this is one of Glenn A. Larson's. I think this this three three hours here is one of the best things I think he did. Sure. Mm. Um, I would say like like, and this is going to sound silly, but uh, one of the few things I would put over it would be something that actually aired a month later, which is the Foundlings, the BJ and the Bear TV movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I know what you're saying, Dan. No, no, no. Hey, if, hey. If, we like Greg Evick. Both of these shows involved the monkey. Only one was in a on a suit. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Dog, exactly. Yep. Um, and and the 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 reason why I say that is because when I, I never really watched this episode like sort of critically, I always just put it on and enjoy it. It's you know it's two hours and twenty minutes. It's lots of fun, but like when I watch it yeah. critically, it's it what it feels like to me is it feels like Glenn and this is maybe what happened I don't actually know the full story behind it but it feels like Glenn A. Larson wrote the first hour basically like you said up to the point where he says to Earth <laughs> like he like he wrote that that was the original pilot and then they got like the deal to make like seven a seven hour miniseries right. and the first two the next two parts he wrote were the second two hours of this right but then when things got changed somehow, they grafted these first three together. And so, it, so like, the first 45 to 50 minutes are uh, – they introduce a lot of great characters. They introduce a great world. Um, but they're also very harrowing. And it's it's dark and so many people die. And it's, 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 it be, it's rather sad and tragic. But then gradually it's mm. sort of – the moment, like, Ray Milland – shows up sitting in his room with these lovely ladies around him. You're like, okay, we're doing something different now. Where are we now? Ah, boys, yes. I don't want to battle. I want to be lazy. Forgive me, I don't have my second head with me. Yes, he's the... He, and he's um, like a hedonism bot from Futurama. He's just he's just sitting there. just just. And, well, we can talk more about him later. But to, to me, yeah. what it really does feel like is the, the first episode would have ended... The first well it more or less does with um you know to earth and then the second episode begins a little while later and they're visiting all the ships yeah and the and the next two episodes or a two hour episode would be the second and third hours of this which is kind of almost a standalone adventure outside Mm. of the first one and when i watched it like that i I shouldn't have done that because because when i watched it like that I realized how much I love the first hour and how much I enjoy the other two. But so when I actually kind of sorted out in my mind, the way it was working, um, I was like, okay, yeah, that really does feel like a one hour episode. And then someone shoved a two hour episode onto the end of it. Now, again, not that that's bad. I think this would have been a hell of an evening's entertainment, you know, in 1978, but it, it does. um, I do wish, that, and I don't know exactly what they would have done, but I do wish there was something sort of more epic they could have mm. closed out. I mean, it is pretty, there's a huge, you know, space fight. They, they blow up a planet. 
but but, but I, yeah, I, it looks like they, it was like uh, the alternate uh, use of Alderaan from Star Wars. I mean, we did we, John Dykstra was yes. involved with Star Wars, and basically, yes, yeah. I think I think it was like an alternate of. Can we have another like an alternate take of the Alderaan blowing up? And can we yes. use this in the Battlestar Galactica, possibly? You know, so <laughs> please, maybe could we? That, cause it, it just has the look of that because it kind of has that explosive like that. And I guess what? No added special effects to add later because like some other series does but with this one they actually kept everything intact which was yes. good it yes. looks like the old old-fashioned practical explosions the other thing i also like too is that you know when they're going through each maneuver you know it's it's pretty obvious that you know just when lauren green thinks like he's going to give up i mean there's something that gets him to say like nope we're still in this and this is how we're mm -hmm. going to do it it's like mm -hmm. every single time it's him calculating with the site the, the site the cylons just as much as <clears throat> possible there i mean my my personal favorite is like when they get uh through the mining thing of our second part of this you know when they, you get the three volunteers there they mm -hmm. when they accomplish it they have this cool thing and i think they did this a couple of times on other episodes where him and ty uh where adama and ty do this handshake of sorts that's arm and hand I, mm. I don't know how the hell it's like it's like who came up with this or was this like a Roman <laughs> thing? But I said to myself, that is one of the coolest things I've seen. You don't see the difference. It's not, it's, and it's also not dating. It's like it's not high fives. Yes. It's not you know give me fives. Mm. No, it's something different that is their own that I really yes. appreciated out of that. You know, that, mm. so that was cool. like there's a lot of great elements. That, like I as we said, the aforementioned Rick Springfield pops up in the beginning of this, yes. and um, it's and it, it also has once again. So where the president goes, what was that? He goes, that was my son. My son, yes. So like, dun, dun, dun. Uh, so it's like, little by little, you start to realize that this is family. You know, it's like yes, this little exactly. by little. Like, you know, we find out Apollo is his, well, we don't realize that it's his brother until later on when mentioned, you know, because they mm -hmm. don't do it immediately. It's just more like this excitable young uh, rebel that hasn't gotten the chance to be at flight and wants to do a routine yes. patrol and, yeah. you know, ends up being, you know, the way that that is. So it's always great to see Rick Smiley, although one imagines whether Zach would have made it, you know, and uh, where he would have gone further, seeing that uh, Rick was going in that direction of sorts and little by little, you know, got to his popularity. But then after that, you know, we start to realize Athena, who's got uh, the – feeling so dramatically for um, Starbuck, mm -hmm. all of a sudden we realize, oh, wait a minute, that's Adama's daughter. And it's like, it's like yes. little by little, like I said, with each revelation, we're going like, okay, we're starting to connect everything. And then Baltar, meanwhile, being the uh, the uh, traitor that he is, uh. you know, we see that he made a deal, and guess what? The ones that he made the deal with don't exactly stick by that deal. <laughs> yes. So it's like the... It's like everything that could go wrong. He's the ultimate Murphy's Law character. Yes. Everything that could go wrong will. And it's yes. and Baltar, it's just, I don't. You know, all these different things. And yes, for those who are wondering, yes, that's the character that apparently in the movie version of this yes. uh, doesn't make it. Yes. But in, in this one, there's an epilogue uh, that introduces a character for the next one. It's kind of like a cliffhanger. Uh, mm -hmm. a, uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. And then, like I said, we get, you know, familiar with different characters, not as grandiose entrances, but, you know, you have Boomer, you have mm -hmm. uh, Jolly, you know, great, great that they have a, a character that's named after a popcorn. Yes, um, that's and I had a, a good friend of mine in college who was named Kevin J. Jolly. The J stands for Jolly. So whenever oh, they bring out Jolly, it's like, oh, Kev, what are you up to? 
Oh, isn't that nice? Yeah. And then, right, and then it's like right after that, then we're then he's putting the plan into action. He goes into the surface of Caprica, which amazingly is kind of like the the uh, the rejects of medieval times mm. from the way that they're dressed practically. You yes. Know, you know, there's no jousting, but you know somehow you know there's they've got the they got the, the ceremonial for. clothes. Yeah. <laughs> ceremonial clothes and the big the big uh, cake of peace, or at least the sign of it anyway. Yeah. You know, and then uh, and I think it's also one where they had the. They had the nerve and the to knock off the dog, which I was going like, yes. God, it's like, when oh, you it's see that, ha- it's like, yeah, it's like, what did they just do that? Oh, come on. He's it, you know, Jane Seymour being our, one of our special yes. guests here. That uh, is is the Capricorn that uh, gets uh, to the uh, attractions of Apollo as we start to learn a uh, little mm-hmm. bit by little bit, and even gets them closer is when he has um, he gets uh, Boxy, who's the, the his her son, out of the um, out of his funk of sorts, and uh, kind of also plants the seeds of maybe we're going to see a little more of Boxy in the future. Maybe he might mm-hmm. put a uniform on, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe this is where it's leading. Ha, ha, ha. You know? <laughs> and, and, of course, he gets a replacement for this dog. You know, basically, uh, his dog is Muffet, or uh, his dagger is called Muffet, mm-hmm. and this is Muffet too because they've done some kind of scientific uh, advancement. with it. And, you know, we think, okay, it's a nice little pet. Well, we, we start to learn also, well, later on, that Daggett is going to play a part into mm-hmm. uh, a very key element of uh, yes. what will turn into the third act, you know. But yeah. that's it, it, little he, bit by little bit. Yeah. He, does, I mean, Glenn A. Larson really does a uh, does a, a wonderful job of just building the world, um, not not only through the characters and the ships and the and the little little like the handshake and stuff, little bits and bobs here and there. Mm-hmm. You know, like the brief brief moment where we see the council all agree. Yes, it would be great to be friends with the Cylons. You know, and the camera just has a quick pan over all of them, and even the the little words they throw that out one here. Little, it gets that one little shot of uh, Adama like almost uh, saved the best for last, and he's one guy in black like just with that look on him, going like, yeah. "Okay, this guy's determined." Yeah, even if it's for a brief fade in, fade out. I said like, mm-hmm. "No, this guy, he's." He doesn't look like a Roman. He's looking more like yes. uh, the the Prince of Darkness, but he's <laughs> one that the, he's ready to lead uh, with the and him and Ty makes a very good tag team right there. Yeah, you know, of, of yeah. sorts. It it just occurs to me that uh, one one of the the interesting things about the episode and and sort of the way it's structured is that it begins with like this table of old guys, not all old white guys. I was just about to say old white guys, but actually it's 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 a mix of races um, who decide yes. The Cylons are the best, and they're going to be our friends, and of course they all get killed. Mm. And, but then like an 40, 45 minutes later, there's a brand new table mm. of elected old white guys. Well, this time it is old white guys who are going mm. to lead us horribly astray. And it's like, how many times? You know, it's like, well, we've got a new council. Oh, crap. Why? They're the elders. Do we, do we, we have to yeah. respect our elders. <laughs> Is that, oh, another you sincerely another council? Do you can I show you some footage of what the last council did to everybody? Oh, uh, so, mm. um, so uh, let's see. Well, do, let, let's talk briefly about um, um, some of the some of the characters. You want to talk Apollo and Starbuck? Sure. You know, like Apollo is basically like, like Apollo, of course. The you know the son, as we learn, uh, the son of Adama, who's basically you know he's. Yeah, he's well. He's one of the scouts that goes out along with his brother that to see that. Wait a minute, there's something up with this Cylon tanker. Yes. Mm-hmm. There's something in the clouds. It seems to me like this. A lot of times when they go out scouting, they notice a cloud of some kind, as we're going to learn on this and um, 
the the, the yeah, first the, full, yeah. you know, the, uh, the first part of that one anyway and um that you know it seems to be like a cloud and a cloud leads to something else mm-hmm. and it leads to you know on that one and this one it's like oh the cylons are approaching and guess what they didn't mean their words and guess what surprise attack oh, Hello. <laughs> i think i think that that scene is really lovely when he's flying with his brother and they just mm-hmm. go into the smoke like what is that you just see like a giant like almost like a, a cigar case floating in the air. It's like, what the hell is that? And it's like, oh, that's an empty fuel tank. And then they fly around it, and eventually they realize what's up. It's a nicely sort of, it's it's a nicely it's an eerie moment because it's, yeah, it's one of those where we have no idea what's going on. Luckily, Apollo does, and and the sort of gradual build of the worry up until the point where it's like, uh, Apollo, have a have a look in front of you, and like sixty Cylon ships flying right at him. case. And speaking of cigar case, yes. let's oh, yes. talk Starbuck. Starbuck. The, 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 Starbuck, who loves his cigars and loves yes. his gambling and likes likes uh, certainly has an eye for the ladies, no matter who it may be. <laughs> and some almost put it this way, he almost could have been in the DNA related to Ray Meland in that he has that kind of oh we don't have to worry about this that he one. Does. But then when it comes to battle, all of a sudden Jack's right into it and going like and shows it. He's one of the better ones on that yes. one. You know, sometimes out of reluctance, you know, he does kind of have that little injection of Han Solo quality to him. Yes. But, you know, but basically, but that's what comes with it. And, of course, who better than Bert, Dirk Benedict, who basically didn't give up the cigars because he saved some for the A-team. So later yes, on, exactly. you know, so. And he does spend a good portion of the commentary talking about kissing the ladies and descri- <laughs> describing the kissing. L- Lorette oh, Sprang, yeah. who's Cassiopeia, was his favorite. Oh, of course, you know, because because that yeah we we do get you know, speaking of which we do get introduced to Cassiopeia who yes. uh, has a very interesting title that we have yes. to, to know them better. What is it's it? Like it's the, the it's the uh, like the uh, <laughs> I should have written it down. Uh, I it's... did I did write it down. It's it's the uh, like the uh, the associates you know like it was like, as, a, as, like the, yeah the it's a, we'll we'll get we'll get back to you everybody we'll figure we'll that get, out. We'll, we'll, well, we'll get we'll get back to Cassiopeia in a little while, but yes, uh, she, yes, she's as, in the middle of the So then we, as, yeah, please. Yeah, we'll 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 get to that one. And then mm-hmm. um, what was it? The uh, then we got Athena who yes. gets very emotional both at the loss of Zach and uh, anything that's going on with Starbuck, and we get to find out. Guess what? he goes, oh, well, blame your father for us going into that. And of course, we learn she's Andama's daughter. Yes, so yeah. So like I said, uh, it basically in this first half hour we're learning that truly Battlestar Galactica is a family affair. So yes. it's and yeah. uh, getting into it little little bit by little bit. And also too, we have uh, somebody that also uh, that's a familiar face that uh, might have shown a few scenes in the shuttle, but uh, he's uh, Mr. Ed Begley Jr., who's as oh, yes. who's a, a cast as Green Bean. What a name for a, I a saw candidate that. named Green Bean. That, it's, the funny thing about that name is that if you watch the theatrical, his credit is the first one that comes up. Well, one of the first one that comes up when the op- closing credits roll. So, like, the movie oh, wow. ends, you know, and you get fleeing the Cylon tyranny, da 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 da, Battlestar Galactica. And then the credits roll, and the a, first thing you see is Ed Bagley Jr. Green. Where was he in this film? I said, wait yeah. a minute. He's in there. Thing, uh, look closely. You know, he, yes, he's yes. He's in there. You know, and, but, you recognize his voice. Yeah, and also, you know, you know, speaking of the credits, just the, the whole credit sequence, I think, to me is amazing. Now, the funny thing is that during the pilot, it has this 
prismic kind of the lettering, but and it has mm-hmm. the, the the credits coming at us very like a slow version of the the Superman credits practically, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Um, but it has this very unique mixture of colors that's within the the lettering as we see on the next episode after that when we get to it uh that's going to change a little bit but uh they this one is kind of like the more grandiose beginning with the names and it all coming at us and the credits and then we get the patrick mcnee narration that uh describes you know which we do get for a couple of other episodes after that you know we get that part at least not so much uh as much as grandiose as this three-parter is but um it's one of those things to note on that. And also, how can we not think of this beginning enough uh, by thinking of Airplane 2? No, <laughs> yes, they use the same theme, but that yeah. theme comes from an awesome composer by the name of Stu Phillips uh, <laughs> and the L.A. Orchestra, who, uh, for those of to working uh, in Larson verse, uh, he happened to work with Russ Meyer. Uh, oh, on a little film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, uh, oh. which is very different from uh, <laughs> very different from uh, the Battlestar Galactica score. But here's the thing: both of them have a theatrical quality to it, and yes. Stu Phillips steps it up to really bring uh, the, the score to uh, the score. really. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it continues all throughout there, and it's just it keeps everything heightened, it keeps everything mm-hmm. good, even when it's not popping up here and there. Uh, there's that. So. And then we have Athena, who happens to be the Capricorn that um, is one of the many survivors of the mm-hmm. Cylon attack. Uh, that was supposed to be a peace, opera, a peace armistice and turns out not to. The other thing, too, that I feel like is where the Godfather had oranges indicating death. Mm-hmm. During this attack, if you have a microphone, something bad <laughs> is going to happen to you. Yes. Because you see at least two yeah. or three people who are like looking like they're on the screen trying to report everything, including Jane Seymour. And We're, going all like, attack. We're all under attack. We're all under attack. Okay. You get one that's like silent that's going like, where did this guy come from? Where did this guy broadcast? So Jane Seymour, what the hell? But anyway, but she's somebody that, you know, is one of the survivors, speaks up and happens to draw the attention of Apollo, who mm-hmm. has an eye for her and ends up, um, you know, her with her son, Boxy, off of, uh, as one of the survivors. And like I said, he gets better attention and shows that he's very good with kids mm-hmm. on that matter. And she takes a, quite a liking to him in between that time of, of the bonding and getting the uh, getting the, the newish Daggett and then going from there. And um, there's that. And then we have Baltar, who happens to be our traitor of, of the bunch. Yes. Who, there's, no, there's, there's nothing uh, there's nothing uh, clear as olive oil about him. He is a slime ball. <laughs> yes, and, um, completely. You can tell and from then, the moment. And then, like I and then we get the Cylons themselves. And interestingly enough, if you look at the ships, well, first off, the launch of the uh, shuttles is is uh, when they say when they launch and blast with these um, ships there of uh, with uh, our heroic uh, side there. It's mm-hmm. one of the best blast offs you'll ever see in anything because it's just one of those yeah. things when they hit the tur- you have to hit the turbo in order to blast off properly mm-hmm. because without that you ain't going out the, the uh, they're not going to go slow. You have to go turbo. They kick the turbo on, and that launch off is still one of the best things you'll ever see in anything. And hey, even as as good as Star Wars can be, they don't have a launch off like that. Let me no. tell you. No. And um, it's quite a feat. And not only that, but also you notice that those things all have one pilot to each. Yet the Cylons always have three. <laughs> the Cylons always look like a uh, like um, a bunch of guys like in a pickup like truck or something. Yeah, and they and they and they they brought someone extra came along. 
there's a hey Steve, what's going yeah, on they, up they there? The Come on, seat. Tom. Yeah, yeah. It's like, they always have the middle seat that's got to be part yes. of that. And also too, they're they're shooting blue while we're shooting red. Isn't it supposed to be the other way around? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's one of those strange things that we notice in the the sci-fi world. But this is the way. This is the galactic world, and this is the Larson verse. So there you go. So you have that, and Boomer comes along, who happens to be uh, like I like to say, of the if there was a Three Musketeers, there would be Apollo. Um, yes. Starbuck and Boomer. And Boomer happens to be like the third guy of the bunch that happens to come along, along with a few others here and there. But he happens to be one of the, the other ones that they kind of involve in everything. It also makes a direct threat to go into Rayma Land's bunch where they happen to be, unfortunately, a lot of survivors that were starving and wanted some attention and some food and all that. And they saw that they weren't getting it yet. They go over to Ray Milland, and he's practically hoarding everything, like yeah. you know some some places do when um when our time has gone on there and when they have to uh, stockpile. Mm-hmm. He's got got like uh, triple the stockpile and just relaxing on it. And of course, he gets called on that. And Boomer uh, and uh, Apollo happen to make sure you know you're not sitting on this. Everyone's getting a little bit, but by mm-hmm. now, unfortunately, in the midst of that. They're putting their planning into motion, and um, they agree to a plan of saying, like, oh, let's give the Cylons another chance. Let's do this with yeah. our elders, our new form of elders here. And uh, Ray Milland puts the uh, the uh, the pressure onto Adam. Like, oh, well, I agree with that plan mm-hmm. and not the other plan, so <laughs> let's go with this. As long as we don't bother them, they won't bother us. Bother right? us he thinks yeah. that they're all bees. Yeah. You think that they're all bees. <laughs> I- and, uh, yeah. It's amazing to me he wasn't in the swarm. You know, <laughs> the well, the, the, the thing with Ray Milan's, um character that that slightly confused me is that I honestly felt for a bit like he was some sort of traitor, but he's actually not. Mm. He just really wants to like relax on this not quite disco planet where they've landed, and he just he just wants to relax and he doesn't want to run. <laughs> anymore he and the last time you complain i don't want to deal with this and this is kind of like the opposite of adama basically mm-hmm. you know which is basically you know he's like adama is one that wants to get it done and say no i i see the right in this and you know and, and he knows he has a history with uh adama in the case that uh adama has a history with him in the case that um he um uh he says i know him and he used to be great then all yeah. of a sudden he became lazy so it's like basically in Adama is basically one that keeps himself in the action that he doesn't want to become that person. He sees that yes. example of what yes. he, he must do and goes on to it and do it and has to strategize against the Cylons yeah. no matter how it takes. And if, even if he has to bring uh, Colonel Ty into that, it's Colonel, I think. Um, but uh, it brings Ty in there to kind of say like, hey, you know, you didn't bring anybody else in here. Do you? And it's like, and the way he does his clandestine plan in a ship. Now, that's the other thing. We haven't seen Andama on the ship yet, you know, so yeah. who knows if we're going to see that down the line, but mm-hmm. could be a clue, maybe not, who knows, and Ty as well, we don't see him in one of those ships, mm-hmm. but they communicate <laughs> a la 2001, practically, Yes, you know, yeah. doing the clandestine thing of saying, I'm on my communicator, it's like, it's the way that he has his gestures and puts everything, this is the reason, why, and one of the reasons why we love Lauren Green, big, big mm-hmm. time, yes. in this role. I, I do, There, there is one thing, uh, plot-wise, right around there, that I... That is a is a Glennie, a thing Glennie Larson has does, um, or Glennie Larson shows do well a lot of shows do stuff like this where there well there I'll, I'll give an example that's not this there's a Buck Rogers episode called like the Planet of the Amazon Women or something like that mm-hmm. and in in the episode it's like Buck 
is captured by these two women, winds up on like like somewhere with all these guys who are like, where are we? Where are we? Where? And and then gradually you learn that these they're on this Amazon planet. And they're going to be auctioned off, and they're going it's going to be horrible, <laughs> and all these things. But the thing about the episode is that there's an opening scene where we see two Amazon women talking about what they're going to do. <laughs> so there's this whole sequence where, like, these guys are like, what's going to happen to us? Where are we? What's going on? And as a viewer, you're sitting there going, you're on the Amazon women planet. They gave it away in that opening scene. They shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and they kind of do something like that here where I, I, I feel like I, I kind of wish that Adama had sat like Teague down, you know, in the ships and said, I've got a plan. Mm. And then we hadn't heard what the plan is. And then just had, because there were those great moments when, because the, the plan is, and I'll just say it very quickly, um, they're going to uh, the, uh, bring all the, the warriors and the, and the fighters down onto this sort of disco planet to give the three main guys uh, medals. And Adama pretty much figures out, well, that's when the Cylons are going to attack, when all our fighters are on the planet. So they have, um, so they steal all the, the, the fighters' uniforms and put them on everyone else on the ship and send them down yeah. to the planet leaving the fighters on the ship so everyone on the planet thinks oh the fighters are all here but the problem is that starbuck apollo and boomer i think are all on the planet and they keep seeing these guys going who are those guys what's what's going on <laughs> and the thing is that but but we hear and there there is probably one of the sort of only like humorous scenes in the in the the episode is where um Ty is um stealing uniforms and he gets caught <laughs> doing it which is a pretty funny mm. moment but i i almost kind of wish that we hadn't heard the plan mm. and as they're there and we know that something is happening and we know we th we're pretty sure cylons are there and they're going to be attacking soon and there's something weird going on in this planet you know all mm. of a sudden like as apollo and starbuck are sitting they're going okay what do we do and then three guys walk by and they go who are those guys oh they're three <laughs> three fighters from the ship do you recognize them no and, th and then gradually as they're trying to work other things out they keep seeing all the fighters and they're like wait a minute, we work with these guys every day. Who are all these people? <laughs> and then eventually you learn what the... Because there's a scene where Jolly is explaining the plan to them. Yeah. And you th and I, I, as I sat there watching, I thought, oh, I wish he hadn't included yeah, the explanation. Yeah, too much exposition. Yeah. Yeah, ex exactly. Because because Adama tells oh, it to Ty. What? Yeah, and then, and then Jolly tells it to them. And here's the thing. With Ty, I still say to myself, why don't you just call it Operation Ring Around the Collar? Yes, Exactly. <laughs> Because you know, I mean, because he, he's practically like, I'm getting the laundry, and you guys can't keep it dirty. Why don't you have some whisk? You forgot to add the fabric softener, or something like that. You know, it's like a big cross promotion, and guess what? Yes. You know, a lot of sponsors, a lot of good stuff there for, particularly for a TV show like that. Yes. yes but um, exactly. and then and then keep in mind, while they're on this planet, uh, you know, it's, uh, Starbuck is having the greatest run of his life. You know, gambling. Yes. He's got two women that he's juggling there. Two so gorgeous women. Between yeah, two lovers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, then, yes. and then to top that off, looking to manage the Android Sisters. Yes, they've got yes. four eyes, two mouths, afros, and they're singing. Yes. Yes, that's that's still I – th I, I, th I seem to remember seeing those somewhere those, – those gals somewhere when I was like a kid or something and being very confused, and I still am confused when I see them. There's just something so weird about that scene with those where they're singing, and especially when the the one gal hits her second mouth hits the hits the low note. <laughs> yes, and the, does the Ella Fitzgerald uh, shatter? Yes, is it yeah. live or is it Memorex? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. What, what What else have we talked about? All the main characters. I think we've got all of them in there, right? Didn't we? 
a box and just 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 about and we went into the two women uh mm-hmm. cassiopeia we pretty much went into we uh yes. had that um i know i wrote it down oh yes they they called her a um designated associ- associator thank you yes designated yes. associator we got we got this down yes. good this is good for the edit a designated yeah. associator which basically is another way of saying hooker so She's it's okay. yeah 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 <laughs> with a heart of gold Yes, yes, and with the blonde hair as well. And uh, keep yes. in mind too, you know, of any of these outposts, none of them are called Alpo, so <laughs> they couldn't have the cross section there with Lauren Green. For those of you who should oh, know, Lauren yeah. Green used to do a lot of those yeah. commercials, especially yeah. with the dogs. So mm-hmm. it's like that. And of course, you know, the Cylons have the "by your command" is always the yes, way that they. It's like that's like their "ii" or their their you know affirmative in that one and- there. The, the 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 I think the funniest moment. It's not a particularly funny episode of anything. So if you're going into it expecting a, a hundred laughs, you, it, it ain't gonna happen. But I think the the there is one line that a Cylon delivers right near the end. I think like after their fleet has been destroyed, and it was something. And and the the head Cylon guy up on the pedestal there says some, something like, uh, you know, like. How was our fleet destroyed? I, I thought they were all, you know, down on the planet. And then the Cylon delivers a line, which is more. I, I, I'll, I'll try to get to the line at some point, and I could maybe I'll, I'll put I'll throw the audio of the line onto the end of this episode. But it's just one of those perfect, Ooh, one of those perfect deadpan robot lines that is just hysterical. <clears throat> And and it's just it's just funny when you I can't I, I laughed out loud the first time I hear it because it's just the the logic explaining how come they all got destroyed when they weren't supposed to I, I, I you'll hear the line at the end but that's yeah it's it's it is a very serious I mean it's Glenn A Larson was um in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints he this mm. has also some very I mean it's very ancient astronauty too it's also very um, Jewish um um and it's also there's all sorts of different Egyptian. All sorts of yes. different, um, all sorts of different uh, um, uh, mythologies and things sort of tied together, and of course the um, the uh, um, uh, Cassiopeia and, and Apollo and Athena mm. and and all the different um, the Atlantia. There's there's one one of the ships is like uh, one of the races like a Gemini type people or something like that. There, it's all it's like he throws everything in there, which is Absolutely. which is actually which is pretty great because then you can go anywhere from that point, which is cool. I also love that they actually added with Boxy saying like, "Oh, just you know, close your eyes." Primaries. We've never explained as to what that is, but I guess that must be their equivalent of vegetables or something. You know, yes, yeah, yeah. It's primaries. Yes, primaries. Yes. So, uh, so, uh, so let's and, see. Yeah, um, and, and from that, oh, you know, no, they, they go on to our, and so they go on to that, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and that's uh, for for all those uh, oddities and everything. And also, too, the minor uh, uh, kind of insectoid. Yes, uh, those are interesting. Race there. I keep on thinking that that could have been a spawn off of Imperious Leader because kind of that colored mm. eyes thing there. True, I go yeah. like, are we sure that it wasn't like a, a fusing of, of like serpent, uh, robotic, and these people? You know, it's, yes. I mean, after like, all, they, they did have an outpost there. You know, it's, that's why they're there. These are like, you know, they, there's a kinship, as it were, that they don't fully understand. I bet, but the Cylons. And he says um, like, oh, it, it sounds like a trap. And I said like, when you look at the, the when you look at the reading of. Uh, of uh, Lauren Green, it almost sounds like he's saying crap. You know, instead of trap, it looks like he's saying crap. You know, it's... sounds like a crap. Mm. Yes, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it's. I, I will say for being a because um, I have it playing right here. It's mm. a very. It's it's most of the most of the episode is very. I think very stylishly done. Mm. 
Oh sure. There's a there's a lot of great camera movement. There's a lot of great lighting. There's great a, color. There's, yes, it's it's a, they really do a nice job. And like when they get into that mine near the end of this, I love that bridge that they go back and forth across. Uh, I don't know why. I love a good bridge that like stretches over a really like deep deep space kind of thing. I just I'm a big fan. And, and the, see all the outside of it as the thing, and it's like red inside the uh, Galactica there. It's yes, this beautiful red, red yeah. that they have on. It's like I, I like that. Well, you know, like a, another show you covered there. Who also, by the way, we should also mention Leslie Stevens does have an involvement with this. Who also did Search, yes. which yes. is another movie, what, another show that you did cover here on Eventually Super Train. And mm-hmm. here's the other thing too: is that he must love graphs. Because every time they say, "Oh, we got to go into the other," he has that like cer- that beautiful, colorful, circular graph with the paths on yes. there that I absolutely adore. And particularly when he got to use that on search as part of the the titles of the show, I said, "Okay, were we forecasting Battlestar Galactica at some point there with that?" <laughs> yes. You know. Yeah. So there was that, and not only that, but also, um, you know, they say, they say uh, oh, it's been so many yarns. Yeah, it's been yeah, so many yes. yarns since we've come to those. That's their years, but practically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so they have, like, a vocabulary. They have their own one, like, we'll, we'll learn later that they have obscenities of their own, like, oh, frack. You know, it's, it's... Yes, and the one, is it Fegel? Fe- 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 I, I never say it right. Fegelkarp. Fegelkarp. Fegelkarp, yes. Something like that. It's because I, I usually, when I have, if I have it on the subtitles here, mm. I can say it. But if I can't quite put the word together in my in my mind. Uh, and I just noticed here, too, the um, uh, right after... The, the the sequence about 45, 50 minutes in when they're going to look on the first ship. Um, it's like the Gem, Gemini-type ship. It's very green, the place. I mean, it's almost mm. like... I'm, I'm not saying it's like, like Dario Argento you know, or Mario Bava lit this or something, but it's like, like the Galactica on the command deck is very red. That space is very green. And it's... it's, it's um, I don't think it's a lot classier looking than a lot of 70s TV. I mean, like I said, I love BJ and the Bear of the Foundlings, but it's a straightforward, you know, the the thing that makes BJ and the Bear of the Foundlings fascinating for me is that, well, I think it's actually pretty pretty darn well done, but the first hour of it is set in the dark, and then the second hour is almost one long chase set the next day during the light. So yeah. there's kind of so it's kind of like it begins in darkness where you can never like where BJ's in the middle of somewhere with his truck and there's something in the truck and there's stuff going on and you can't always see what's happening and then the next day in the morning when it suddenly becomes this huge chase it it the, the it all shifts and it becomes something else something more mm. exciting and it's um I just say that because BJ and the Bear ran for three seasons, so I'll never cover it on here. Yeah, and or, I, and or Lobo for that matter. Leal Lobo had two. So, I mean, I, I was tempted to do a show called The BJ-Verse, but I fear I get a lot of people <laughs> listening thinking it was something else. Or, or the, uh, the the Blobo. You know? <laughs> now that would be a good one. There you go. Yeah. There's, there's there's your seeds right there. Planting that's, in there. Oh, and if, if I called it BJ and the Bear Verse, that's a totally different audience for that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's it's not going to. Um, yeah. It's not, oh, good God, yeah. Yeah. But 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 I do I I because the thing about it is like this is September of '78 and the BJ and the Bear TV movie aired in, a, a year a month and a half later. Yeah. Well, Larson so, was one uh, one busy boy. I have cooking. to say, it's... he was cooking. And and I, I'll just say, I guess I guess we'll we'll start to sort of wrap this up. I don't want to go sure. because I mean, if you're wondering, folks, hey Dan, if it's a three hour um, episode, why isn't this a separate standalone episode? Standalone episodes are for standalone TV movies, um, yes. like Search. 
like Probe, I'm sorry, or The Immortal, you know, or The Ellery Queen, um, uh, The Too Many Suspects. This, the next week, the first regular episode aired. So per the rules of Dan Bunnick's podcast, this is within the episode. So we're trying not to go, I mean, we could probably go for another half hour or more. But I, 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 um... And now I forgot the point I wanted to make. What else you got, Chris? Well, I'm trying to think of my point. Well, and and the one last point I want to make is watch out for that daggett bite. <laughs> there you have it. Jeez, um, no, I did, I did, I did have. Oh, oh no, I got it, I got it, I got it. It was about the um, uh, the seven hour miniseries thing, and. And it, it, it's interesting that um, yes. that uh, that that happened to Glenn A. Larson here. That it was supposed to be the seven, and the, then at the last minute, more or less, like the network made it a regular series because he had something like that happen to him two years before with Quincy, where Quincy because oh, that was originally like a real uh, mystery wheel ones, and then yes. they expanded that. Yeah, yes, it's it, it, Quincy mm. was the new show. Um, in that that fourth time slot in in the NBC mystery movie that they could never quite fill, they almost did with Heck Ramsey, but Richard Boone wanted too much money, so they stopped mm. it after two seasons. But a uh, Quincy began that third season it, in, yeah. in, in se- September of '76, I think. But they had already oh, everyone wow. ki- kind of already knew that this was going to be the last season because. Um, uh, McMillan and wife is now just McMillan and Rock Hudson was like okay we can wrap this up and Columbo wanted to go uh, well Peter Falk wanted to go do other stuff although he did do another season on his own and McLeod I, I don't know what McLeod was up to but um, but after soon after Quincy started and was quite popular they, um, they, they announced like okay the series is ending and they went to Glenn A. Larson and it's funny if you look up the seasons of Quincy you'll see season one is like the second half of 76 and there are like four TV movies and then season two yeah. begins in January of 77 with 13 hour long episodes so literally they were making hour and a half to two hour episodes and he said okay they the network said okay finish what you're doing we want you to come up with 13 hour long episodes starting in January and we'll see how it goes Jeez. So he had to like, so he had to like, you know, they were already writing hour and a half long scripts, two hour scripts. They had to sort of deconstruct, tear everything down, put it back. Obviously it worked because Quincy was one of his longest running shows. But when something Mm. like what happened with Battlestar Galactica happens, he must have been like, oh, don't do this again. Don't, don't Quincy me. Quit Mm. it. Quit it. It's too too bad they didn't have Jack Klugman on an episode of Battlestar Galactica. That would have been been really great. Oh, that would have been great. I don't buy that Adama. Let's go here. (laughs) Oh please, this is no oh. great clues. It's a, yeah, a, but uh, uh, overall, you know, just it was it just has that exciting ending. It's like now all of our ships are ready to go to Earth. Earth. Epilogue, and then yeah, we're introduced at the end to that epilogue where it's like, no, my predecessor has you spared. Yes, yes, and Baltar's like, oh, what? Very briefly to. Lucifer. Oh, yes. Now, Lucifer, at that yeah. point, we don't hear a word, but we just see this figure come in, and it's like, almost like that, almost to be continued, that freeze frame that you yes. come off of. And it's like, okay, so it's like, okay, what's going to happen with this Lucifer? We're curious. Mm. So 
guess what? It's on the next episode. That's a two-parter, but we cover yes. only the the first part here, uh, called Lost Planet of the Gods. Yeah. So, uh, so um, yeah. So, well, this this is. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking. I'm looking at my notes here. I'm out. I'm Saga of a Star World. You were enjoyed. Oh sure, absolutely. Uh, and so, um, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna ask you, Chris, um, where, what, where, 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 you know, I, I, I never asked you this before, where, because usually at this point I ask, where can we find you online, or mm-hmm. do, do you do podcasts? What do you do? I, I've never asked. Yeah, I, I drop in every once in a while, and some, they've had me on a couple of podcasts here, but you can find me on Facebook. Uh, it's Facebook.com/slash Captain Bly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you can also find me on Instagram uh, under the name Captain Bly76. Uh, recently, I have um, I have different little things going on. I keep a lot of irons in the fire, but uh, one of the things I just done is I have a thing called First View, which is covering movies, uh, one movie a day, uh, that I'm seeing movies for the all in all. It's a movie a day, practically, and recently we just did a theme in April uh, doing counter-programming from TCM called 31 Days of No Oscar, where we uh, <laughs> covered a whole... Where we we covered a whole bunch of movies that uh, you know for whatever reason never got the golden attention. We focused mm-hmm. on uh, two filmmakers that uh, themselves never got nominated uh, mm-hmm. for an Oscar themselves for directing, but maybe some of the people that they worked with were nominated at some point in their career, um, not for their movies but for others. But to say that they had valuable work that uh, sadly the Golden Boy did not uh, show the attention <laughs> to. So we just got passed on with that now. And this month we're going to be doing, in May, uh, covering this past year's uh, 2021 uh, winners and nominees to see mm. just, um, just you know, the appreciation of the nominee, watching them and saying, did they really need to be up there? Or was this another one of those years where we're going like, okay, it's nice to be nominated, but mm. I'm not sure. Or if it was a valuable one and why? So we're going through that. And usually through different months, there's different themes or different weeks. And um, it's, been a, it's been a fun thing uh, to go through. And I also do a thing called the Deep Dive TV Movie Picture Show, which is covering a lot nice. of TV movies. Nice. Um, that every once in a while I come across something. I mean, uh, when, uh, sadly, when Cloris Leachman passed away, uh, we did a whole weekend of nine Cloris Leachman movies. Wow, that's and awesome. And it was uh, quite uh, one to go through. It was quite one to go through. Even if she had the smallest part or the biggest part, uh, it was really a good discovery to come across movies like Death Sentence and um, The mm. Acorn People, which was a great mm. uh, discovery out of that. And, of course, the perennial favorites that have been on Amazon, like Someone I Touched, which yeah, uh, to me is like one I of the touched. best. Yeah. She sings the theme song, and God love her for it. And we covered Dying Room only on that one in a couple of yes. But someone I touched, I will always say, I said, if you really want to see a movie that you think it's, it, you say, oh, okay, it's one of those ones that goes through that typical. I say, no, it's like a good book, and I'm going to say this. You think it's going to go one way? I say, keep reading. Keep yes. reading. Because it's like, it does go in a couple of different directions that even I didn't expect. And it was going like, mm. ooh, I said, that's very well, that's good storytelling. It does it yeah. organically. It's not mm-hmm. obvious. With the twists, if if there are any, and it, and uh, it includes quite a number of people uh, that uh, you'll see from movies and television in there, and, and yeah. it's uh, it's been funny to find a lot of these finds on that, both in doing the movie thing and the television thing. So I keep mm. myself very busy, you know, in in, ti- in our um, in our times of um, less activity uh, outside, mm-hmm. but uh, mm-hmm. it manages to keep it keeps everything busy, and um, and here we are. So yeah. Awesome. <clears throat> Thank you for joining me for this, and he- you will be here for the next. What twenty 
uh, episodes. So it's 20, right? Yeah, that sounds right, because there were 21, because this is three and one. Yeah, that sounds about right. He'll be here for a while, folks. We're talking We're talking <laughs> the whole thing. So let, let me just sign out, because I'm going to get on to the next segment of the show here. Sure. And I don't remember what it is. It's something great, though. Listen to this. And that's episode, whatever episode this is, 116, right? One, Yeah, it's 116. 117 will be the second Battlestar Galactica, the first regular, the 18th, uh, Search, the 9th, right, Kolchak. So my apologies for fooling everyone at the beginning um, because I'm going to do it next time when episode 117 is actually here. So this was uh, this is the episode, and Battlestar Galactica has begun. I like Chris. I think he's got a, um, he's got a nice verve. To him that I think uh, I think we're all going to enjoy, and I believe the next one we won't have those issues with the audio. Sorry about that. That happens sometimes, and you don't want to. I mean, you you you're not actually you know you're gonna you're not you're gonna ask someone like, hey, there were a half a dozen times where your audio went out for two or three seconds. Can we do the whole thing again? No, you don't do that. So, uh, so this was episode. I don't remember. At E Supertrain One on Twitter, eventually Supertrain on Facebook, Danny Slacks, D A N N Y S L A C K S, at yahoo.com, eventually Supertrain at blogspot.com. The next time we talk, we will be discussing um, some fun stuff around Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving 2021. Hopefully, it will be nicer than it was 2020. I sure hope it is. <laughs> Fingers crossed, everyone. So we'll be back next time with some more search, some more Kolchak, and some more Battlestar Galactica. Thank you for listening. Come on, I'll buy you coffee. Galactica! Galactica!